No subscriptions, no network, no rules, and at the end of the day, no comparison. Uh, and right now, no Weisberg. So we're trying to get <laughs> Tim, Tim Weisberg in here on the show, but it's like, oh, here he is. Okay, good. There yeah, we go. Yeah. Nice. Well, good. It worked. It worked out with my no theme. Uh, of course, this has been all of America. Welcome back, folks. Uh, after last week's Trumpapalooza, I, I wanted to pivot like completely away from. <laughs> such a crazy topic and, and get into something uh, that's sort of like, I'd say it's kind of like out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways. It's, it's still in this realm of like the spooky, the haunted, the uh, the ghostly realm, because I've found it more and more interesting over the years. And, uh, and, and since this is season 10 and it's sort of like a celebration of all the great friends we've had over the years, I, I wanted to bring on these two guys. They were on my short list uh, when I put together the season 10 list, talking about Chris Balzano and Tim Weisberg, they have a tremendous resume here in this field. As I said uh, in the description, they're seasoned paranormal researchers. Tim Weisberg uh, and Chris Balzano, together they wrote the book Haunted Objects. That's what they talked about last time on the show, and that was way back in 2012, which is crazy if you think about it. October 2012. We were still talking about the Mayan calendar back then. That's how long ago it was. And uh, Chris Balzano also wrote Dark Woods and uh, a bunch of other books you can tell us about, but the one that most sticks out is Dark Woods. That's the one we talked about here on the show. And uh, they're both sort of like, uh, well, and of course, Weisberg is uh, one of the co-hosts of Spooky South Coast, the wildly popular radio program that uh, broadcasts from uh, the South Coast here in Massachusetts. So the local guys as well, and, uh, you know, we we used to run kind of the same circles in a lot of ways, too. Uh, Chris moved out of state, but back in the day for a while there, we were mixing it up and <laughs> mixing it up in the uh, Knights of Columbus halls in Watertown or whatever the <laughs> whatever the hell that, that thing was, uh, you know, and sort of having some adventures, uh, brief adventures. And so I've known them in person and I've known them uh, in this field for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, I want to get them back on the show here to be part of the final season. So welcome back, uh, Chris Balzano and Tim Weisberg. Thanks for uh, being a part of this, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. All right. Chris, you good? We got Chris? No, we don't. This is what happens. We try to bring Chris into the South Coast show all the time, and this is what ends up happening. Oh, shit. All right. (laughs) 
like damn Florida. All right. He's like in the triangle. Let me see. That's so weird. We just get you on and uh Let's see here if I can get him just to call into the show now. All right, what a what a mess, folks. Anyway, it's so weird because right when we were about to get on the show, uh, we 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 had trouble getting Tim connected, and now uh, and now we lost Chris. But how have you been, Tim, since the last time we talked? It's been like I said, five years. Uh, uh, you know, since we connected. No, I've been busy. I, I keep uh, busy all the time. Been going on all different kind of uh, paranormal haunts and different events, and taking a couple of cruises and all kinds of things. And uh, started working in the TV world, which is a, you know, a scary venture unto itself. Probably more scary than what you encounter in the paranormal. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, do we have Chris uh, Belzano on now? You know, I have never been uh, treated so unfairly and, un- and poorly on a radio show before. Yes, I don't know what kind of stuff you got going <laughs> well, Wait a minute, yeah, this happens to us all the time, doesn't it? You get to the your own show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, I, I, it's like finally someone snapped on me on the air. I knew it. I knew it would take ten, <laughs> ten seasons. I figured uh, after after Linda Holden Walden Howe yelled at me, I figured it was only a matter of time. But yeah, nah, man. Sorry about that. We always seem to have weird technical difficulties uh, when we all get together, so it's it's no surprise. Yeah, and and I'm actually using a landline right now. I can't remember the last time I actually held or like a real phone to my ears before. I forgot how comfortable it is. It's it's really underrated, dude. People need to get nostalgic <laughs> about that shit. Those hipsters need to. It's like the one thing they won't go back to is landlines. It's like no, you're missing out. Uh, so so Tim gave us the gave us the rundown on what he's been up to since we last chatted. So uh, what have you been up to down there uh, down there in Florida? What have you been? You know, what, as I said, I don't know if you, what you heard at the beginning in the intro and everything, but uh, you know, last time we talked was 2012. So it's been five years. Almost since uh, we all got together here yeah, on coming the show. Up so with, what, do you, what do you uh, mean up to? Objects. Um, right. You know, I, I kind of, um, I kind of got out of things for a while. Um, I kind of put the whole paranormal thing behind me, and was trying to work on other things. And and to be honest with you, I, I was, you know, uh, still a, a faithful listener to you, still a faithful listener to uh, Spooky South Coast, and. They were doing such good stuff in there that I, I could never, like, fully let go listening to you guys because uh, there's always something intriguing going on. And so, you know, I just recently, probably about uh, a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago, I got back into working with Spooky South Coast, um, you know, trying to uh, get some guests on that I thought would, in, you know, intrigue and challenge the audience. And, and then probably about a year ago I started really doing my own stuff again. So I'm I'm really uh, focusing right now on kind of more of legend tripping type of um, – uh, that's kind of like my focus on the paranormal now. So I'm approaching the paranormal much differently than I used to. Uh, you know, I used to be as much of an investigator as as the next person, uh, and, and enjoying that kind of part of uh, the paranormal world now. Um, I'm doing a lot more uh, legend tripping and experiencing you know, stories and and haunting. So, and I've been writing about that, and I've you know I started my own pod- podcast about that as well. So. That's yeah, yeah, on exciting. I've been following, <laughs> following the uh, following the exploits of the of the legend tripping uh, pursuit. 
that's actually sort of a good jumping off point in a sense, because like I, I guess if we're, I want to like already get kind of deep in a sense uh, on sort of thinking about this shit, and it's like I find it interesting because when I talk to you guys, I'm always sort of like the always uh, the idea of the Bridgewater Triangle like conjures itself up, you know, and it's like to me getting deep about it is like I find it just interesting. Because, you know, we were all, you know, chasing each other around the fucking, in the, uh, in the, in the Hibernian Hall and goofing around and shit. And you guys were doing this even way before I was as far as Bridgewater Triangle stuff goes. Like, you guys were, you know, I remember when I was writing an article about the Bridgewater Triangle, it was like, I had to track you guys down. That's how I found, that's how I met Chris. And then through Chris, I met Tim. Um, and it was like, there was, there was two websites, I think. It was you and Chris Pittman. Um, and then this thing has like fucking exploded in the last yeah. few years, and it's just remarkable to think about. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, you guys and and the the, the people in Massachusetts did a lot, obviously, to sort of, and of course, Lauren Coleman, who uh, coined the name, you know, did a lot to sort of put this thing on the map. But it's still pretty remarkable that it's become so well known now. You know what I mean? It's just really. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, what's your? Yeah, I think. Do, do you I have the idea was hibernating? Sort of an idea of why that happened? Um, I think the idea was hibernating. Um, you know, in between 1983 and you know maybe 2003, um, it was all there. It was all kind of under the surface. It was all playing itself out. Um, but people really, they were experiencing what is the Bridgewater Triangle, whether they knew what it was or not. Um, and then through the work of like a few really good people, like Chris, like you were saying, Chris Pittman, and uh, especially started getting the word out, and people were, as the Internet's growing, and people are able to kind of keyword experiences that they had and boil it down into a few specific terms, town, this kind of activity, um, they started to be able to put a name uh, and put an area to it. So it was always there. It's always been huge, I think, um, although maybe, like, it's kind of exponentially rising as well. Um, But people were able to actually say for the first time, I experienced this thing. Oh, wait a minute. There's this bigger picture called the Bridgewater Triangle. Let me get into that. And then they start spreading it. And, you know, it's like anything on the Internet. The more things that are connected, all of a sudden people are able to kind of uh, create these definitions for themselves and, you know, and, and find other people, connect to other people who are experiencing the same thing. So, And, and it's, it's popularity rise, you know, is, is rising with the popularity of the paranormal. And so anything you want – uh, that is unexplained, you're going to find there in the Bridgewater Triangle, and I think people really connect to that. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's a matter of the fact that people have been having these experiences for years and just didn't know what to call it. So it's it's kind of like now that they have a basis of comparison, a basis of other people going through the same thing, it kind of creates an identity for what it is that they're going through. I mean, I do a lot of library lectures, especially around Halloween time, where, you know, I'll raise my hand and say, how many people here have heard of Spooky South Coast before? And even at the New Bedford Library, which is like the library of the city where we broadcast the show, I might get one or two hands, but I say, who here has heard of the Bridgewater Triangle? And every hand in the room goes up. And and these aren't always people that are into the paranormal. Sometimes they're just people who have come there because it's a Tuesday night and they have nothing better to do than hang out in the library. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just interesting, I mean, even me myself, I didn't know about the Bridgewater Triangle. You know what I'm saying? Like... Um, you know, I was I was tracking down. You know, for me, it began with, <clears throat> excuse me, looking into, uh, you know, the the stories that were in Charles Robinson's um, New England Ghost Files, and finding so many of them were in Rehoboth, 
And then all of a sudden, I started posting stuff about that, and people started responding to me looking for answers. And now I was like, all right. And then, I, like I said, I, I, I refound Chris Pittman, and I realized, oh, wait a minute, that is something? I had this other case, and it's in, you know, it's in Easton. And that, well, that was really interesting. And then that picture started to emerge, so the stuff was definitely there. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy like that. It's just really, like like Tim was kind of saying about those library lectures, I mean, I've been places outside of Massachusetts, and it'll come up in conversation. Like, it's somehow, it's become, like, fairly nationally known in the paranormal field, you know what I mean? Where before, like like you were saying, Chris, I mean, uh, I live in Burlington. I didn't even know anything about this until, you know, three or four years after I got into the paranormal. And I was like, wait a minute, there's this thing called the Virtual Triangle? So it's right. and the cool other part of that is, but it's also weird because it's like we, we, we like had this garage band. It's <laughs> <laughs> now that's now like, that's now like selling out stadiums, and it's like, man, it's not the same, but it is the yeah, same like, really. Like paranormal hipsters now, you know? It's, we can't like it. <laughs> it's not cool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's funny though. The other part of that is, is that when I talk to someone who doesn't know what the Bridgeware Triangle is, I've hooked them. As soon as I start, I've hooked them um, because yeah. it, it is such an intriguing area. So, it, you know, a lot of it has to do with the activity that's there. But a lot of it also has to do with kind of the, the framing that people have been able to create for it. When I start talking about it to someone in Florida, they're immediately like, okay, well, tell me this and tell me this. And, and, it, and so, you know, so many people are hearing about it and so many people are seeing, you know, the documentaries and the TV specials that are out on it. But even just in conversations, it's a really cool idea. It's a really interesting and involved thing that, once again, everybody can get involved in because it's like if you're into cryptids, you're going to find it there. If you're into UFOs, you're going to find it there. Now, it, it, I guess enlighten me in a sense. How – much stuff is still like going on over there. Do we know? Uh, do we do we get a lot? Uh, Tim, you're you know in the area, so do you hear a lot of stuff still happening there, or is it kind of like, you know, for lack of a better term, like resting on its reputation in a sense? Nope. Every single day we get new reports of things that are going on, and it's it seems like since the documentary came out a few years ago, it's only amped up more. I think it's because people are in some ways paying more attention to it. But also part of it is they're more willing to open up and share those experiences. So I think that these things have been going on all the time, but it's just become a matter yeah. now of where people feel comfortable sharing it and people feel comfortable coming forward and saying, I think I've had a Bridgewater Triangle experience. And I think part of that is also they're experiencing these things. They're able to kind of go out and research on it, but there are some really good people doing work in the Bridgewater Triangle as well. You know, whether it's someone like Kristen Good or whether it's someone like John Brightman um, or, or some of the other groups that have, that have developed, they're actually doing really good work and they're putting their stuff out there for people to see as well. So it's impossible for it to stop because, you know, if it's not something paranormal, it's something historical, which gets people intrigued and then the paranormal comes in as well. So it, it does have this cycle, but it's also because of the, the personalities who have come out of the Bridgewater Triangle or helped to promote it and to investigate it. Yeah, well, like I said, you guys have done tremendous work, you know. It, it, I've had a tiny role in it because I've promoted the people doing the work. But it's like the folks, the folks who were in there, uh, who actually get down there and stuff, uh, you know, that's, that's, the, that's the folks who really sort of like put this on the map. And again, like Lauren Coleman, who sort of realized that, that there's, there was something to this in a sense. So it's like, it's, it's just really, it's cool in a lot of ways because it is, 
while we while I sort of lamented that it's like our garage band or whatever, um, it's also cool because it's like we had our own local thing that made it big, you know, and became became like a big, <laughs> a big yeah. And uh, going you know, in a lot of ways, I'm protective about it because I'm like Bennington Triangle. You're not as good as the Bridgewater Triangle, or you know, down in Florida they have the Tampa <laughs> yeah, yeah, Triangle. Like I'm like, too. oh please, Tampa Triangle. You're like the JV man. Like step up to the varsity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. So I, like I, I do see it like yeah. that, not only the idea of what's going on, but also that idea of like coining a place and like just investigating it, and you know, and it's. I think the more that we've looked into it, and Tim can I, I probably speak a lot more about this being more involved over the last ten years. You know, whereas we you know, in those days started to really kind of push the idea of it being an actual triangle, it has really become much more, you know, like uh, shady and, and, and gray of where the Bridgewater Triangle stops and, and where it starts because so many things seem to be related to what's going on there that are just outside the lines that the lines keep kind of pushing themselves out. Hmm. We'll talk about that, Chris. You, you, you think it's sort of like more of a nebulous zone, if you well, will, you know, it's, triangle. It's it's, and, and, yeah, like, like I talked to, to, uh, to Lauren uh, about this when um, I was writing Ghosts of the Bridgewater Triangle, this idea of, well, it's not really a triangle for the things I'm seeing, you know, and I was giving my reasons. He's like, well, I meant it to be a template. I meant it to be something to kind of put out there that people would then work from. You know, and a great example of that is something like Lizzie Borden. So Lizzie Borden is in Fall River, which is outside of the triangle, Right, but Fall River technically used to be part of Freetown, which is one of the apexes of the triangle. So it's really something that should be right. included. I'm saying, okay, so now Fall River is okay. So maybe now it bleeds out into New Bedford, and then and then it kind of grows from there. And also, you know, the nature of what was going on. Uh, you know, uh, Lauren didn't really look at a lot of different like ghostly type things in his original writing yeah. on it. Okay, so now if we start including that because it does seem part of the mix, then it, all of a sudden the borders start kind of pushing out a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. This is something something? yeah, this is what we argue about all the time. Chris likes to do that thing on his phone where he can't hear what I'm talking. He likes to <laughs> this is something we fight about all the time, and that's the actual borders of the triangle. Because Lauren Coleman, when he originally coined the term, he was talking about East Bridgewater, West Bridgewater, and Bridgewater proper. And even Aaron Tadju kind of ex- expanded the borders beyond that. But even his, I argue with, because I feel like the Bridgewater Triangle is 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 a living thing, and I think that it's growing, and as it's as it's feeding on us, and as we are feeding into it, it's it's expanding more and more. So I actually consider Fall River, New Bedford, I consider that area part of the Bridgewater Triangle. I, I think down into Rhode Island, where you have anywhere where you have these repeated types of paranormal activity, and and Rhode Island has just as much as they have ghosts, they also have UFO flaps, they also have Bigfoot sightings with uh with Big Roadie. So I think that the entire, you know, southeastern New England area is is becoming the Bridgewater Triangle as, as these borders just seem to have to keep – it's almost like it's bulging at the seams. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, and it does seem like that. It's uh, It seems like weirdness is picking up, that's for, that's for sure. And if you're in an area where weirdness – where, you know, they're already trafficking weirdness, then you're more likely to get more weird shit happening. So that that's not a – that's not a huge surprise. And sort of piggybacking on to that is, this, is the Pukwudgies thing, Chris. That's become massive. Like, yeah. uh, I sent you that picture <laughs> on Twitter. Of, uh, I, I think it's like a local beer, but still, it's like there's a beer, a Pukwudgie beer. So it's like that. There is. There's, there's you know, I don't even know if we could have gotten away with Pukwudgie it. But you, beer, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's, it's, um, it's, 
I think the I think the word ultimately is engaging, and that's what people like about it, and that's what people connect to. Um, you know, over the summer, like last week, I was looking at Pukwudgie, um, you know, activity in Indiana, you know, and in doing that, I began to look at more of kind of the stuff in upstate New York and Canada, and realizing that, you know, the Bridgewater Triangle definitely does not have, um, you know, a, a copyright, if you will, on the on the Pukwudgie, but it does seem as if, you know, the this idea, which is kind of always there, and it's in every single culture, these small things that kind of invade your life, sometimes they're tricksters, sometimes they're darker, they do um, engage us and they do kind of permeate culture and they kind of reflect what's going on. And so just that word Pukwudgie, when that word started getting out there, people really jumped on it because it became a really good explanation for a lot of different things that were going on. And you were able to kind of finally say, like, oh, you know, I think of, like, Robert the Doll. Like, instead of Robert did it, it's like, you know, well, Pukwudgies did it. This is a Pukwudgie. And people started changing their their filter of what it was. And because it's such an engaging figure, because it's such a cool word to say, I honestly think, um, people just really oh, yeah, like, no, for latched sure. on that, that. I think that has a huge you – know. yeah. I never thought about it until you said that, but, yeah, it's like the – the word is so fucking cool that it's like it's like the squonk that we talked about uh, with Jason Offit a few weeks ago. It's like it's just such a weird fucking word that you want to know more, and then you become enchanted by by the mysterious creature. Yeah, and it, you know, much like the Bridgewater Triangle has that like automatic almost brand naming to it. Um, puck wedgies are the same thing, and and really, in kind of maybe we can get into this a little bit later, but like really kind of looking at, at at some of those stories that I that I was getting from different parts of the country, you know, I think the word uh, pukwudgie is supposed to mean little people or small people. That it really is this umbrella term um, that covers a lot of different uh, creatures that are out there. And so, when I give a description of a pukwudgie, so many times I hear like, "Okay, well that's not exactly what I experienced. I experienced this." but I feel really comfortable calling it a Pukwudgie. And so originally I used to be like, well, no, that's kind of not what it is. It's not red hair. It's this or it's not. And people were very adamant that what they were experiencing was a Pukwudgie. And so I, I kind of took a step back and I realized, you know what, I think Pukwudgie is, is, is a bigger umbrella term for a lot of different species of unexplained things that are out there. And I think that if we kind of leave it at that, that's part of the explanation of, of why so many people are able to connect to it and kind of go out there and use that word is because it does mean a lot of different things to a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I also, I also uh, think, too, though, that... There you go, Tammy. Yeah, I was going to loop you in here, yeah. I, I was going to say, Puckwudgie's become one of those things where it's been bastardized, too, where the original intention and the original meaning of it has gone away because it's become a marketable term. And, and Chris, you know this, because we did a whole episode of the show about it where we talked about you know J.K. Rowling taking that into her her universe right. that she's created and it's become something that has kind of gone beyond the original intention. And I get people that tell me all the time that they think that they've had Pukwudgie experiences. And I'm like, but you don't live in the Bridgewater triangle. You don't live where the Wampanoag tribe is from. So your Pukwudgie is actually something else, but it doesn't matter right. because it's become, it's become like Kleenex. It's become the, you know, it's right. become the generic term for something when it's actually a proper name. Yeah, and and you know, I we saw that on both extremes, Tim, right? Like we've seen the 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 Pukwudgie, which is the JK Rowling Pukwudgie, which is the the kind, helpful, 
help the person to become, you know, acclimated to America, and therefore was like, you know, one of the things held up as what should be the, you know, the four pillars of our of our school. And then we've seen the other one where it's like this soul sucking beast with like spikes coming out of its head and stuff like that. And both of them have kind of have their own little life now in the world, and it's, and it's not necessarily what those original Puck Wedgie stories were or, like, kind of what the first ones that I was getting reports about, you know, in, in areas like Freetown were about, and yet, like, people are very, very comfortable, like, latching on to that term. Have you ever heard Puck Wedgie stories from the U.K.? Because that was something I heard recently, somebody telling me that the idea of Puck Wedgies has now reached the United Kingdom. And I'm like, but they're not the same thing. You have your own name for it. Just, right, you know, it's called a leprechaun. <laughs> Yeah, kind exactly. Yeah, it's like a, it's like an elf or whatever, man. Like they they have the original shit. Why would they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they like one of the things. Stuff, so. Oh, go ahead, Tim. I said it's just because it's not as popular as puckwudgie, you know. As that yeah. term become the new happening thing, that's what everybody wants to equate these things to. But look at how many times we've had to take things that happen here in in America and try to put you know, old world sensibilities to it, and it doesn't always fit. So I think that there's that need right. to have – Chris will tell you this. Uh, being, I like to call Chris an analytical folklorist. So he'll tell you that you have to hold on to your own legends. You, know, you can't let them be bastardized. You can't let them be homogenized. You have to kind of hold on to them and keep them as pure as you can. Yeah, one of the things people yeah, forget when like, they folklore and they kind of mix it with what's called urban <laughs> legend is the, the idea of folklore is folk. You have to have folk. It's your people. It should be your – um, the stories of your people, of your region, of your, you know, background. And when you start to take, now, you know, something like a, like a Pukwudgie in the U.K., they've got a much better history than we do of fairies, right? But I can imagine right. 2017, if you start coming out with the fact that you think you've got a fairy in your house, people are going to have a, kind of look at you the wrong way and, because it's like an antiquated term and it's, you know, it, it's mm. something of, of, that you tell little children but if now all of a sudden you can give it a new word, if you can say it's a puck wedgie, you know, okay, well, now I'm, maybe I'll take it. I don't know anyone that would take anyone more seriously if you're using the word puck wedgie, as I can tell you, <laughs> not being taken seriously. Yeah, but it has, a clean, it has like a clean slate. It comes with no, it comes with none of that sort of like uh, baggage that you get with like, Old world if, baggage. if you tell yeah, anyone you saw a fairy, an elf, a goblin, anything like that, it all, you know, it con- that conjures up so many images. If you tell someone who's never heard of the term, you're like, I ran into this little thing, and da da da, da and it's like, there's these, you know, they're called, and you should say, you should, you should say, in Massachusetts, New England area, they're called puckwudgies. I don't know what they're called here, but you know what I'm saying. So, it's like it, it brings with it a freshness that can kind of help you shake off the baggage of what people might have as a preconceived notion, like you're saying. If you if you're like, I got an elf that keeps pestering me, people are gonna be like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Right, that's an old story. What are you talking about? You know, little kids believe in fairies. Those are, you know, those leprechauns. Oh, come on, man. That's like my grandmother used to leave milk out for a leprechaun. What are you talking about? Well, what, like, I'm not about to to believe that. And yet, you know, and which and what that does is you're you're taking the folk out of folklore. You and, know? and so maybe right, it becomes right. something else. But you're doing that thing again. Go ahead, what, Chris, uh, to, go ahead, Tim. You look at it as this. It's almost like the terminology that we use now is supposed to be the grown-up version of it. So, you know, like Chris was saying, you know, they think it's ridiculous to believe in leprechauns, but it's okay to believe in puckwudgies. That's because we kind of look at it as we think that we figured out, like, oh, leprechauns must really just be Irish puckwudgies. And so we think that we found, we've stumbled upon some kind of <laughs> yeah. answer. 
actuality, the, the Sanseren definition that we're using is just some other kind of folklore. Right, right. And it's also, uh, it's, it's uniquely American because it comes from the Native Americans. So it's, I could also see there's sort of a, a cultural thing there too where it's like people either they couldn't believe or they just couldn't get the, like, get the idea across to other people where it's like elves and leprechauns, that's European. Those aren't, you know, it's like if you tell somebody you ran into a leprechaun here in maybe in Massachusetts, that might be believable, but uh, <laughs> in, 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 you know, Colorado or Texas or some shit, they'll be like, get out of here, dude. There's no, there's no leprechauns in Texas, dude. But it's no, like, it's no, what I, what's that? Yeah, they have two cars. But it's probably but like, no, 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 what I mean is it's a Pukwudgie. It's this kind of Native American thing, you know. And then I think that's kind of, that kind of helps with the, the popularity of it. Cause it's like a uniquely, it's our, like, like Christmas, uh, like, like Tim was saying, it's like our American leprechaun. Tim, did you see the show on stars, American Gods, and it's based on the Neil Gaiman novel? No, but I heard really good things. And uh, well, a lot I mean, of my is, 14 friends like it. That, that was allegory for what it is that we go through in, in analyzing the, the folklore and, and mythologies of America is it's it's the old gods versus the new gods. It's the old way of looking at things versus the new way of looking at things. And in the end, they're all right. They're all part of the collective mythology, but the part is that the, the show does a great show, a uh, great example of showing how these are always at odds with one another and that there's no way to kind of just accept them across the board. And that's what we've dealt with with a lot of these legends. Even the Bridgewater Triangle, people look at that and say, you know, this isn't, this isn't your own thing. This is something that's happening everywhere. And they're trying to take away the idea that, you know, this area has some sort of special nature to it. And they say, well, that kind of activity happens everywhere if you pay enough attention to it. No, but not with this type of frequency, not with this type of volume. And that's the same thing. We can keep those identifying characteristics of the Bridgewater Triangle, and keep it our own, and we can do the same thing with all these legends. Let's kind of just keep that identity for it, and let's just all enjoy it for what it is. You know, it's almost as if the every generation or every you know every few years, people want to do a clean burn uh, of of the old stuff uh, and kind of reinvent things and use new words and use new terminologies. You know, I see this all the time in education where people want to take out you know buzzwords that were popular five years ago and replace them with buzzwords now that explain the same exact thing. I think the same thing happens. You know, whether we're talking about you know our gods or whether we're talking about our mythology or our folklore that kind of builds our nation. We're talking about ideas of the paranormal. And what they don't realize is you just burn some down. Guess what? Like it's coming back up. <laughs> You're making something from the old anyway. And so those themes, those same ideas are going to keep poking themselves through because they're kind of universal. And not only that, if we believe that all this stuff is real, they're all still there. So you can call it whatever you want to call it. You can try to push it to the side and come up with something new. But, you know, whether you're going to call it, you know, um, um, a demon dog or whether you're going to call it, um, you know, some kind of other cryptid name or a werewolf, there's still these weird, like, dog-type creatures in the Bridgewater Triangle. You can try to rename them, but the fact of the matter is they're there. So no matter how much you burn away, those roots are still going to show themselves because they either are something real or they point at something that we really need. Yeah, because, like, in another generation – the next generation of researchers will come along and they'll kind of like, they'll, they'll, they'll hopefully, the good ones, will like dig into the past and they'll, and they'll be like, wait a minute, this goes back to that thing and they'll resurrect the things. And it is like a cycle in a lot of ways. Now, and I think also the, both the Pukwudgie and the Bridgewater Triangle benefit 
from like the internet age, from sort of like this. I think we can all agree that this, like we talked about the the Bridgewater Triangle bursting at the seams. It feels like the paranormal is like. It's like how they say the universe is expanding. It's like the paranormal is like slowly but surely expanding, like in popularity <laughs> and, and and mainstream appeal. It's like I often laugh though because it's you know. You got like fucking comic books and Comic Con and like Big Bang Theory. It's like the paranormal is, even though it's got the cable shows and stuff, the paranormal is still like one of the last vestiges of like nerd culture that hasn't been stolen and adopted by the mainstream. It's kind of funny in a lot. I mean, it comes and goes, you know, X Files and that kind of thing. But it's like, you know, comic books have affixed themselves into the zeitgeist in a way that like. The paranormal still remains just just a little bit on the fringe where it's like there are a lot of people that still <laughs> you know it's but, uh, but, it's a weird thing. But Chris and I do we we've done shows on this in the past where it it never really does completely exit the popular subconscious. I mean there's whether or not it's it's just kind of it's it's the idea of going out there and looking for the paranormal that ebbs and flows. But those paranormal themes yeah. are always there. There's always ghosts being used as literary devices. There's always monster stories being told. There's always horror movies being created. So this stuff is always in the back of our mind because we always fear what we don't know, and we always kind of get off on that fear to some degree. So it's really just the idea of going out and looking at this and making it socially acceptable to accept that this stuff is real that actually ebbs and flows. The, the paranormal is always there brimming below the surface. Right, yeah, right. It is. we know what it is to be water. Uh, What's that? Oh, I'm sorry, uh, the paranormal is like water. I mean, it finds the cracks, right? So just exactly. when you think, for yeah. example, that um, paranormal TV has reached its, 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 its point where nothing else can come out, then all of a sudden people come out with a new idea, a new twist on it, a new niche that's like someone who might not be into one of the bigger shows. They might not be you know, into this show, but now there's a show where like, people are investigating, like Tim's show, people are investigating a town and trying to get like an overview. Or like, okay, well, no, but now this is like you know, uh, maybe females. And I, but there hasn't been a really female show I've connected to, but now they're a female. It, no, matter what, um, no matter what vacuum seems to be out there for TV in general, for just for the way people consume, the paranormal seems to find a way to fill that hole. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Tim can appreciate this. I've always likened the paranormal in a lot of ways to uh, to pro wrestling. And right. that kind of speaks to like what Chris is saying, where it's like it's always been popular, and it kind of ebbs and flows and goes up and, and down in sort of mainstream popularity. But it's like there's a weird sort of hang-up with it. Especially, and it's ironic, the two fields, because it's like with pro wrestling – People don't really say this anymore, but the old thing used to be like, you know, that shit's not real. You know, that's fake, that kind of thing. And then both fields have that kind of weird, like, that weird sort of liminality, that weird sort of like, what is reality? What is real? What is fake? That kind of thing, where it's like with the paranormal, it's like, you don't believe that shit, do you? You get some of that from people, you know? So they're very weird. They're very similar in a lot of ways. You know, you wouldn't think it, but they are really, really similar, like, in public perception in a lot of ways. About that, too, about that analogy is that I always call it, and I don't mean any disrespect to anybody out there who's either a paranormal fan or a wrestling fan, but it's what I call the lowest common denominator factor. You know, it's like there's always going to be the the general 
population of the masses, the general percentage, the, the most average American that you can find that's going to be into these things. And I think that there's a reason why. I think it's because it tugs on something with us emotionally and psychologically, where wrestling, we can allow ourselves to get lost in the storyline, knowing that this fighting isn't real. If these people were really beating the crap out of each other like this all the time, it would be brutal barbarianism, and we wouldn't want to watch it. But because we know that the right. subtext is not real, we can accept it. And I think for a lot of Americans, they look at paranormal stuff as being the subtext is that it isn't real. And that's a comforting factor for them to get involved and get interested in it. And then when they realize, holy shit, this shit is real, and then that changes everything. Exactly, yeah. They both sort of dance along the lines of, like, what is real and what isn't real. And, like, they put the onus on, on, the, on the, the, the fan, if you will, to sort of, like, defend or explain or... You know what I mean? So it's very it's very weird like that. That's why you have people that are like closet wrestling fans, and you also have people that when you tell them you're involved in the paranormal, all of a sudden they're like, they want to tell you their UFO story, even though you've known them for like 10 years and they never mentioned it. You know, well, they yeah, kind of keep it close to their vest. Our president is into wrestling now, so maybe that will lead to, to more people being into the paranormal as well. You know, what's interesting about what you guys are talking about in terms of wrestling, <laughs> guess what? They're still asking about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, when they're, def- you know, uh, defiantly telling you that it's not real or that it's not, it's fake or, oh, what do you have? They're obviously, it's on their mind. They're talking to you about it. They're engaged in it. You know what I'm saying? They have an opinion on it. And, you know, oftentimes that means they're willing to talk about it. And even if they've got their arms crossed and are kind of being this, like, prove it to me idea, they they want to discuss it, whether it's because they don't believe it and they, part of them really kind of does, or whether it's just because, like, you know, it goes against some idea that's kind of, in, you know, in their gut, they're still talking about it. They're still talking about wrestling. Guess what? what? I haven't watched wrestling in so long. When you guys were, were texting last night about it, I was like, wait a minute, what about Kurt Angle? Wait, wait, what's been going on? I haven't heard it in a while. Like, you know, even though I, I've been, dis- you know, detached from it and not really interested at all, all of a sudden it starts to stir something up in me again, and I want to know. And, and so, you know, the paranormal does that exact same thing to people. But there's a reason why, yeah. though. It's because it deals with very basic, fundamental human themes. So wrestling, at its very core, is good versus evil. The paranormal, at its very core, is science versus belief. It's, it's, it's life versus death. It's what we think we know versus all that we don't know. So you're getting to these very basic, fundamental questions that we have about ourselves and about our existence in the universe just kind of put into these little brief morality plays for us. And the fun thing is, no matter what time or what era you're in, you can just take those those black and white concepts, those those um, those 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 templates, right? Those, and and you just put them in different clothes, you know. So a 1970s paranormal show is hitting the same note as a, as a 2017 one. They're just wearing different clothes in it. You know, wrestlers are are, are their characters are a reflection of. of you know, whether it's 1983 or it's 2017, they're a reflection of, like, what's going on in society. But once again, like Tim was saying, those core ideas are still the same. It's just like now I can yeah. see myself playing that good versus evil thing because now the person on screen or the person in the ghost story looks like me. Right. We have archetypes in wrestling. We have the, you know, the cool, cocky heel. We have the all-American superhero. We have the cowardly heel. You know, we have all these archetypes that – that people find a, a way to fit into, and it's the same thing with the paranormal. We always have, you know, the same archetypes as well. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, just there could be some some enterprising like sociologist uh, should write a thesis on that kind of thing because it seems like there's a really interesting 
connection there between those those two genres. But you're you're uh, you're right about the yeah. I was gonna say you're right about. I I feel bad saying it too, but you're right about like the lowest common denominator. They both seem to get lumped in with like you know the the they're both neither one of them get covered in the newspaper for some weird reason. You know, unless well, something actually, weird, unless something weird and tra- tragic happens. How do you think I made my living as a writer so far? Writing about both in the newspaper. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So you're trying to you're trying to change things. You're a trailblazer. Uh, speaking of changing things, things are changing. I think, but maybe you guys can enlighten me to how they are changing, or if I'm just too uh, out of uh, the bubble of ghost hunting. Because I was joking with. Um, I was joking with with Dana Matthews and Greg Newkirk about this on the show a few weeks ago, where it's like, I don't know anybody really in the ghost field very well, except for them and, and you, Tim. Like, I saw you guys in the in the Bermuda Triangle thing, and I was like, I know, I know of Chip Coffee. I had him on the show before. He's great. Um, but otherwise, I really don't know a lot of these folks. So it's like, I don't know who any of these guys are. Um, so I'm completely sort of... Uh, you have to. Uh, you have on to, that. I just want to put this out there right now while, while we're on the air, because if I tell you this privately, you'll forget. But if I say it on the air, I know that the Banal of America audience will remind you. Have you ever had John Tenney on the show? No, I have not. But I've heard a lot of good things about him. People well, rave about him. To, John Tenney, is, for all that he knows about ghosts and UFOs and and uh, and all things strange and unusual, and he does, he knows about everything weird. He got his start as a researcher into the Kennedy assassination theory. And this guy is a walking encyclopedia of everything that, you're, that you can know that you're not supposed to know. I mean, he would just be a perfect banal of America guest. So now that I've gotten that out there and the audience will get on you to make sure it happens, uh, you, you can go ahead and ask your question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I've heard good things about him and uh... – yeah, between you and, and Dana and Greg uh, online, I've seen a lot of like mentions of how cool he is. So I'll, I'll uh, we're gonna try and do some new guests this season, even though we're doing a lot of old uh, friends and stuff. So I'll 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 put him on the short list for new guests. I assume I'll, I'll be able, I'll name drop you if I have any trouble <laughs> booking him on the show. What's that? Just tell him Big Spoon sent you. Big Spoon. All right. Yes. We've, well, we've uh, the so. you guys have prison nicknames? Is that what this is? Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> there you go. Um, well, the, the I guess the point I was sort of meandering to in that in that ramble was uh, it seems just kind of watching how it unfolds from, from the balcony in a sense. It seems like, from my perspective, it seems like people were really into ghost hunting before – uh, they still are, don't get me wrong. But now it's like, and I, I, it may be because I watch a lot of what you do, Tim, and I, lo- I watch a lot of what you've been doing uh, lately, Chris. It's like, it seems now almost like the ghost hunting takes a second ba- backseat in a sense to like the location in a lot of ways. Where it's like, it's more now about going to a certain destination um, and then ghost hunting when you're there. You know, it's got a reputation already. I mean, there was places like that before, and it was kind of like that, you know, Lizzie Borden House and the Waverly uh, Sanatorium or whatever. But now even more, I think it's like people have ghost hunted a million times, and now it's like how can you change it up? You need to, like, make 
the location even more a part of the experience. Am I am I sort of like barking up the wrong tree, or is this kind of an evolution that's happened uh, that you guys can see? You are basically just uh, getting Chris and I very excited right now because this is the paradigm shift that we've been pushing for the last couple of years. Uh, Chris and I and Jeff Landry to a degree, like we've all been pushing away from, okay, it's great to run around and have all these little blinky lights and have all these that record data, but what are you doing with it all? What does it mean? What's it, what right. kind of difference is it making? It's not making any kind of a difference. You're not convincing people who don't believe that all of a sudden they should believe. The only way to do that is through experience, and we've been pushing for years now to make it get back to the experience, get back to appreciate having the opportunity to be in a place where you can reach back through time and touch history. And so this is something that you know makes us very excited if you think that this is where things are going because it's where it should be going. It's, it's, it's not about what you can prove. It's about having an experience, about what you can get out there and feel for yourself. And that's what Chris's current project is all about, you know, getting out there and putting yourself directly into these legends and see what kind of influence and effect you have on them. And that's what we're doing as paranormal researchers. You should never subscribe to the theory that you need to be a completely objective paranormal observer because the paranormal cannot be objective. You have to subject yourself to it to experience it. And that's where, why we're seeing these changes and people are getting away from maybe investigation shows on television, getting more into these recreation shows on television because it's more about the experience than it is about, you know, coming back with a bunch of audio clips that a bunch of people will say, yeah, I hear that. And the rest of the people say, you're crazy. It just sounds like a bunch of noise. Right. Right. Yeah, and I don't know how you do it on your things, uh, but it would be, it would be interesting to do like a ghost hunt where it's like, no, you not you can't bring anything with you, like no technology shit, no EVPs. Just go and for the experience of the ghost hunt. Like I think maybe I think I I because I have done two ghost hunts. I'm terrible at it. I'm somehow like bad at ghost hunting, but I'm pretty I'm pretty convinced I am. Um, but to me, it's like I and I can imagine this is like a lot of people. Like I was more just like preoccupied with like. Is something going to happen? Is something not going to happen? I've got my little thing here. You know, I'm, I'm asking questions. I'm sort of, you know, and it's like, I'm, I'm probably going to do another ghost hunt this summer. And I think this time around I'm going to be like, I don't want anything, you know. I don't want a thing to carry around. I don't want a meter. I don't want anything that's going to, like, get between me and this fucking ghost, you know. Right. I think it almost does. It almost puts up a mental block in a sense. Jeff Belanger always tells a story at our Legend Trips events where, you know, you could be walking down and, and looking at the device in your hand and waiting to see those lights change. And at the same time, you're missing the full-bodied apparition that's standing right in front of you. Exactly, yeah. You know, so one of the things that, you know, we're trying to uh, do when we do Tripping on Legends is this idea that you, know, you need to go and you need to experience it. And And some people say, you know, the, the kind of almost like the old ghost hunting rule for, for a lot of people was, I don't want to know anything about the property. I don't want to know anything about this I, I, because I want to, you know, to go in, like you were saying, Tim, I want to go, you know, and be completely objective. Tripping on legends, and I think other people are, are tapping into this too, is like, no, I want to know everything. I want to know the lore. I want to get freaked out before I go there. I want to be, I want to like have some sense of what I'm stepping into because that's the richness of it. 
And then, you know, one of the things that we have, to, you know, my, my co-host and I have to fight when we do these things is, like, there's always a seduction to have a tape recorder on and listen to see if you got evidence. There's always the seduction to look at pictures that you took afterwards and analyze them. And I think that's completely okay. But don't let – don't sacrifice the moment that you're out there for that. You know, so, for example right. – we have been getting some – I've gotten – with this approach, I've gotten more EVPs, uh, you know, in, in six months than I got in six years when, it, when I was at my kind of like paranormal investigator height. We leave the tape recorder and we go, do our shit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, we go, do we do? Or we have the tape recorder on and it's in our hand, but then we're, we're experiencing what's going on. Then when we get back, we find all the stuff, and it's kind of cool, you know, but it's not the focus of what we're doing. Um, and, you know, sometimes we get good stuff, we throw it out there. But it's so much more about the experience and what we have there. And what we found, oddly enough, it seems that if these places are haunted, the ghosts are responding to that. They seem to be more kind of uh, uh, likely to kind of engage you or talk to you when you're in this kind of casual way. Either that or you're just catching it. And, and it's not, um, it's not as, you know, it's almost as they're, they're guards up when, when you start investigating sometimes. And so we're still doing that kind of thing. You can still go and and you know put stuff up videotape the whole thing if you want to videotape it and look later you know i talked about my i think it was 3.5 um uh, equation which was if you go out investigating you should spend 3.5 whatever amount of time that is looking at your evidence now i feel like i should go and smack myself i want a delorean and i want to get my ass back to when i wrote that book and kick my ass because i'm like Dude, you were just telling people to completely devote their lives to what they're doing in this. And I think, in my defense, I think that's what the paranormal field was asking for at that time. Like, you need to have that yeah, level of commitment yeah, I know. I mean, and wear a yeah, black yeah. shirt or no one was going to take you friggin' seriously. You know? And now, what we do, right. literally what we do, is on the way back from wherever we've been, boop, we'll pop in with the EVP, we'll listen to it. If we don't hear it, like, without going too deep into it, chances are we're not going to look at it again because we don't want to spend our time, you know, delving over these potential blips that might be in, in the stuff that we've got. We we look at pictures. Do we see anything? That seems like something. Maybe we can change the lighting and see if it comes out. You know, maybe, but we're not fucking spending 3.5 times what we took to investigate to look at this stuff because then the experience just becomes about about uh, um, you by yourself in an isolated place you know, looking for a needle in a haystack as opposed to we were at this place and it was so rich and it has such a history connected to it. Let me tell you about that. Let me get you excited about that. Well, first of all, yeah, Chris. Like you, to, to, hold on one second, uh, Tim. One second, but, uh, it's like, and, and, and to what end? It's like, so you get a good EVP. It's like we've been at this thing for, I mean, we as a field of, of uh, you know, people trying to figure shit out have been at this, paranormalists. We've been at this for like the ghost hunting boom, let's say. We've been at this for like 15 years. Like, EVPs have lost their their part and parcel, man. They're a dime a dozen. It's like, you know, the experience really, uh, you know, I feel like if you're a genuine person, if you, there's a lot of lunatics, believe me, don't get me wrong, but it's like, if you, if, if you have a really amazing experience, that's better than any fucking EVP that you're going to play on the show, for me, you know what I mean? Because I've heard them all. I've heard every, you know, you know. So many but times you go ahead, Tim. Oh. I was going to say, how many times can you hear What's get that? out? But Chris, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or help me, or hello, or good, yeah, get out is exactly, yeah, that's the one you really would, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Chris was going to time travel, Chris. You would not be using a DeLorean. You'd be using a handheld pocket watch called the Omni. But, and that's <laughs> throwback. 
for anybody that's listening. But I think part of the problem with the paranormal right now, and actually going back all the way to however far back you want to go, is the fact that we're kind of doing it wrong. Like what Chris is talking about is the right way of doing it, just kind of going and putting yourself in an environment. Think about the way that people investigate for ghosts. And think about, now take that approach and apply it to everyday life. What would happen if you just walked up to somebody in their house, in with the place where they live, in the place where they feel comfortable, and you just walked in there on your own, uninvited, walked right up to them and said, hey, what's your name? Hey, how'd you die? Yeah, you're recording okay. them, too. You're recording, you're, you're sticking a thing in their face, like, <laughs> to get them on tape. Asking permission before we record EPs because, you know, we, we have to ask people if we can record before we can do so. But, I mean, that's the problem with it is, is we're taking the humanity out of this, and there has to be a huge element of humanity for it to work. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And it's like we don't know what kind of – I mean, these if, – if, you know, for lack of a ter- like better term, like ghosts or whatever, like, the spirit or the energy is in these places if you're going, quote-unquote, ghost hunting – it's like they transcend the the bounds of physics, man. So it's like I have a feeling they know you're like you're you're looking for them. It's like they get. The, mm-hmm. they, I think they probably sense that they're being sought. And it's like that. I think that's probably kind of like you were saying, Tim. I think that's probably kind of like off-putting to to the ghost, where it's and like think about like all the really like good ghost stories you hear. Most of them are like people that. It's always like inadvertent. It's like they run into this thing, you know. It's like they bend down and tie their shoe, and they look and there's a disembodied foot in front of them. You know what I mean? It's like it's never. It's like they say about love. It's like it's you know you find it when you're not looking for it. It's like kind of the same thing I think with ghosts. So it's like when you when you're thirsty for for ghosts, they know, you know. And I think they yeah. kind of, you know, that's probably that's probably why they're like get out. It's like hitting on a, yeah, a you know a really good looking girl at a bar or something. It, it was interesting. We went to uh, in Arcadia, Florida. We went to this Royal Air Force uh, memorial that's there, and there are, there are all these graves of people who um, who they were British and they came over here to practice to you know to get flight school because they couldn't you know they couldn't train in England because England was being bombed and so they all came here and because of accidents and all this other stuff you know a lot of pe- a lot of them died so there's a whole big part of the cemetery that's dedicated to them. Now we could have gone there like, a, like we could have rolled up like a paranormal investigating team and gone there at midnight and like you know uh, asked them all these things and asked to talk to them or or would, I absolutely hate which is you know the whole confrontational thing of like you know get them agitated so they'll talk. We went there. We played a few songs that were popular like in the in the, in the 1940s when these guys would have been there. Uh, like kind of like these British, almost like British, uh, uh, like like uh, um, national songs that were popular in the 1940s, like or during World War II. We read a few poems that had to do with like the Royal Air Force. We went and we kind of put like a memorial on some of the graves, and then we just sat and like we're like, okay, if something happens, something happens. But if not, like we've paid tribute to the history of what this was. And now, which I know Tim loves this idea of the, 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 of the using that for the history. Now let's tell the story about all these British people who are training in Florida that no one knows this. Like no one, no one really right. knows exactly how much this country was like the, you know, the aeronautical center of the world because no one, everyone, everyone else in Europe was was their bomb planes were being bombed, they were being destroyed, and all these people came to the United States. That's like a hidden history. Now we can use. These, I never the, knew that until you told me about story. it tonight. So that's. Yeah, that's actually yeah, pretty awesome. Yeah, we can use awesome. this story I, of, I, of And it of makes perfect sense. I just never even happened. thought about it. Yeah. 
exactly. So, and that becomes our hook into the history, and then now all of a sudden, we you, you know you take a, a step back again, and you're like, you know what? As we're doing more and more research, we started discovering how much this school being here was part of that area's history that that area has lost. And so now you start to see yeah. how just this one little ghost story of these lights in the sky that people think is a battle tells a really big story about our history, about that town's history, and, of course, like about you know the, the, the actual how we tell stories in the first place. And so it goes beyond just getting a voice telling you to, you know, telling you no or telling you to get out. Those are cool. Don't, you know, don't get me wrong. When you go, when you leave a place and you listen to that and all of a sudden you hear someone talking to you, I was just, you know, kind of going over some of the voices uh, uh, that we got in the cemetery. And I'm like, I think those are two. I think this serial killer is a, is a, is a pair. I'm hearing two people talking to each other, two men arguing to each other about whether or not they should, they should essentially whether they should kill those, this person. That's cool. That's great. But it's also about this history stuff. It's also about what these stories tell about us because we have found no, no, no more insight into what happens to us when we die. But we can, we can, we can find a lot about what we are supposed to be doing now as the living. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I mean, I real long, I real long ghost hunters on the show in the past where it's just like, if, I, I, I wish. It's actually in an ironic way. It is. It has happened in a sense. But it's like, oh, I wish these people. I wish you know Bigfoot. I wish people put as much time into Bigfoot as they do, as they do go. Now they do, which is funny in a sense. But it's like we, he, and in both cases, we can't seem to, we can't seem to seal the deal here. You know, it's like right. These, these phenomena remain elusive, no matter, no matter how much staggering manpower you put into it. You know, but that that's a different. That's another kettle of fish in a sense, because it's like I mean. If we segue into sort of like just ghost hunting and, and and Bigfoot groups and paranormal groups in general, it kind of that that idea of like the lowest common denominator does kind of rear its head, rear its head in a way where it's just kind of like we don't have scientists looking for this shit. We have sort of like weekend warriors, and God bless them. And we need, you know it's good that people are doing it, but it's like we need different ways of thinking of this shit because clearly we've been doing this for a long time. We haven't been able to figure it out. When it comes to Bigfoot, ghosts, UFOs, anything. So, so, so you know, somebody help us. Now, one of the things that we post, yeah, I said my first TV show that I worked on was uh, a show called Ghost Stalkers uh, with the aforementioned John Tenney. And it only lasted six episodes because I think we were trying to do some heady concepts then, you know, in 2014, where it wasn't quite something that people were ready for yet. We were trying to put together, and it's something that, like, Chris and I had been talking about behind the scenes for years and that's actually starting to look at the forest for the trees so let's stop going to places and trying to worry about if we can prove if they're haunted or not let's just go into them accepting the fact that enough people said that they're haunted now what does it all mean how do you put it all together what do those pieces add up to and with this new show that i'm working on haunted towns that debuts august 5th plug plug destination america but with this coming out we're finally getting up that because they're going to towns and going to multiple loca- multiple locations that have hauntings and saying, okay, what does it all mean? So what if there's ghosts there? We want to figure out the reason why and why it's become an identity for this particular area. So that's something that I think as researchers, people need to start working on. The problem is, is everybody's so individualized. It's, it's become such a, a, a niche hobby for people that they can't really work together well. And they'll create all of these uh, unions and organizations and families and all this and that, but in the end, they're all just <laughs> yeah. basic 
copying, they're copying each other's investigative styles, which is just going to keep giving you the same results over and over again. You need to have a bunch of free thinkers who are willing to go outside the box and try different things, then taking the bulk of their work and putting it all together and trying to figure out, okay, what does all of this mean now? Because that's the only way we're really going to figure out how we can make this happen in a way that is scientifically acceptable. And I can't believe I just said that because I know it's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, it's like, they'll never, <laughs> yeah, that's like the deal with the devil, the scientific acceptance, because uh, I think it goes with everything in a sense, like, some folks will survive, some folks, you know, a Stan Friedman, a Lauren Coleman, they'll they'll manage to survive the transition, but like, if once science accepts this shit, like, it's going to wipe out a lot of, uh, a lot of the, it's going to wipe out a lot of the paranormal in a sense going to be like, we'll be shoved out by the scientists and shit. Well, I think, you know, you know fact, bit, it, it, you, yeah, UFOs, you know, Friedman and guys like that, they don't have anything to worry about because if UFOs are proven and they're proven to be physical matter, it's there's going to still be a need for, you know, hard science and for people to bridge that gap. What bothers me about it is the idea that people are out there thinking that they can scientifically prove the existence of ghosts. And I've said for years that ghosts aren't physical. That's why you can't prove them through physics. They're not scientifically provable. They're, they're emotion. And you can't, you, know, you, you can't hold a piece of a ghost in your hand or, or scientifically recreate a ghost the same way you can't do that with an emotion like love or sadness. You can only feel them and experience them. And that's what it is with ghosts. Right, and that's exactly, where it falls short exactly. because because the scientific part of it can just collect the information. You know, like you, 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 if you can now understand lightning, if you can observe lightning, you, you've, you've tested different theories of it, you've proven where it comes from. Okay, after that, there's no question of, well, why does the lightning have to happen? Like, do we need lightning in our lives to be spiritually fulfilled? Like, Science will never answer those questions. And so anyone who spends too much time in the scientific field, you're trying to answer a question about why the, what these things have to do, if they really exist, what do they mean for us. And, and all you're trying to do is try to like, use science to capture the smoke that they leave behind. And so it will always be a frustrating thing, and I don't think those, those two sides will ever really get along. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's... Uh... It's confounding. I mean, the whole thing is confounding. I feel like a lot of this stuff is related in the sense where it's like, uh, you know, we've talked a lot on this show where it sort of comes in, and you've touched on it just now, Chris, where it's like the it's like beauty is in the eye of the beholder type idea, where it's like the paranormal is uh, conducive upon the witness. So it's like right. some you may see a Bigfoot, I might see a UFO, and Tim might see a ghost. It's like, but we might actually all be looking at the same thing. You know, we may all be experiencing something that we just can't quite like that shows itself to us in a different way. I sometimes think that, but, you know, who knows? Yeah, you know, the, there wasn't it's a really confounding. good, when I first started doing this, there wasn't a really good field guide to how to go out there and look for ghosts, right? So even if you were if you were going back and you were reading some of the, the really interesting, like Hans Holzer's work or stuff like that, like there, you could read it and you could kind of say, like, oh, well, he did this kind of thing, but there was no field guide. You know what I used for a field guide? I used a, a, a monster hunting book that was kind of like, you know, took the, the, I think it was called Monsters by Jeremiah Greer. I could be wrong about that. But it was this idea of, like, if we're going to look for a werewolf, 
let's think of how a, a cryptozoologist would look for an animal and apply that to looking for right. monsters. And, of course, there was folklore and stuff like that, but half the book was first time I ever went to the Freetown State Forest, I, I highlighted the, 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 the fuck out of that thing and had it all, and then brought it with me and had things page, pages turned and did, and basically I was looking for ghosts the way you look at, for monsters. Why? Because yeah. so many of those core ideas are the same. No matter what, which one thing you're doing, and, and and like you said, guess what? Like a puck wedgie is a great example of something. Depending on who you're talking to, it's it's a it's a it's a god type creature. It's a cryptid. It's a ghost. It's a monster. We have no idea what it actually is, and so you know whatever group kind of like likes their idea, whatever one they they can can reflect in that animal or whatever it is, they're gonna take. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I'm not for, like, everyone needs to hold hands and, like, but I think if you take someplace like the Bridgewater Triangle, you know, if you take someplace like like, uh, like the, the towns that Tim's going to be looking at, if we have those kinds of, of places and we have different kinds of people looking into it, we and I don't think we're going to necessarily get a, a nice clear picture, but we're going to have a lot of really cool puzzle pieces to play with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, maybe... Uh, maybe Tim can answer this, or or uh, or you, Chris. But I know uh, Tim's sort of like uh, mixed up uh, in the scene up here in Massachusetts. So I think he and he, you know he knows a lot of this ghost hunting uh, sort of milieu. Have the have the have like the number of groups and shit dropped, or is it still as as sort of like um, territorial as ever? Because like I I remember back in the day there was. There had to have been like six to eight ghost groups just in Massachusetts, um, and I mean I'm, I, I'm I'm sure there probably are now. It might be sort of just a different flavor of like these are the people that stuck it out. But like, have you seen sort of any change in the way you know paranormal ghost groups are like constituted uh, nowadays as compared to like you know five ten years ago? First of all, I'd say that the number of groups is still ever increasing. Uh, there's more and more people really? who are involved in it. I, it. It really has been the case. I mean, I wouldn't have thought that. I would have thought eventually people would have given up the ghost, so to speak, and they would have said, you know, I think that there's something better I can do on the weekends and spend all this money to go run around in the dark. But effectively, it's only just increased over the years. The difference is, I think now there's a lot less of the um, there, there's a lot less of the rigid structure that some of the groups had you know, five or 10 years ago, five or 10 years ago, it wasn't uncommon for there to be a group that had one dominating personality as the, the, the group founder, the group leader, and everybody had to play their roles. And you were this, and you were that one was a tech specialist. One was a historian. One was an occultist. One was an angelologist. One was a demonologist. One dealt with aliens. One dealt with Bigfoot. You know, they, everybody had to have a certain position within this power station. Yeah. And, and, but not only specialization, but also, you know, there was a seniority kind of with it. And, and, and there was, you know, it's kind of like a, an oligarchy in, way, in a way. But we've gone away from that now, and I find a lot more groups are more relaxed. I find a lot more groups are like, hey, let's just get together. And a lot more groups are centering themselves around specific historic haunted locations instead of just, you know, they're, they're having like a home base type place that they care about and that they want to protect. And I think that that's a, a good positive trend because without those dominating personalities leading groups were also getting a lot less of the infighting. And I know that there's paranormal drama all over the place, all over the country, but for some reason, New England has always been somewhat exempt from all of that. And I think it's because we're so much surrounded by, by ghosts and so much surrounded by this history that we can't get territorial about it. We can't 
you know, we can't piss on each other because in the end we all have to work on each with each other one way or another. So that's kind of kept us from getting mixed up in a lot of that play. It still does happen, but I, I think that there's a big combination too of uh, people wanting to work together because it's, you know, let's face it, it's more cost effective to be able to share equipment and split the cost of renting out places and things like that. But I think the other reason is there has been a great camaraderie that has formed through social media and the, and the exploration yeah. of this. Now the problem, the problem isn't amongst the groups. The problem is amongst those who are trying to have the experiences versus those who are trying to come up with uh, what they consider to be serious data and serious research. The fights happen when somebody posts up a picture of an orb and someone who's been doing this for a long time or has a background in photography tries to explain to them, no, it's not your dead uncle. It's actually just moisture that's in front of the camera. And when that starts to happen, when you start to criticize people's evidence, that's when the fights and, and the problems break out. And I, I can't figure out for the life of me how to get over that hump because we've been fighting it now for a couple of years. Yeah, I can see that in the stand. Come and play with us. Come and play with us, Danny. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Forever. And ever. Nobody wants to have their bubble burst, you know, and it's like, but at the same time, it's like, if you're just, I, I pity the person that like, I mean, I guess if it's their uncle, I can understand why, but I pity the person that's like, this little blob on the thing is awesome. It's like, dude, it's just a little fucking blob, man. I've seen a million little blobs, you know, like there's no, you know, it's even I've seen, you know. It's not just, at it, first it was like, hey, that's a cool little blob. And then it was like, this is a little blob, but it's over my shoulder. Or it's like, this is a little blob, but it's right in front of my face. It's like, okay, so now we've moved on from just little blobs to like little blobs in, in key locations. Is that what we're doing now? And it's like, this, at the end of the day, it's just a fucking little blob. I don't know what to do with a little blob, man. Right. I, kind of a, I like to make it akin to this. Yeah. If, you know, if, if somebody thinks they know how to fix their car and you're a mechanic you probably know better than they do how to actually fix what it is they're fixing. Sure, putting just water in your radiator will keep your engine cool, but, you know, come November, December, you're going to be screwed without the antifreeze. And I think that that's the problem is you start to tell people you might want to mix in a little bit of antifreeze with that water. Oh, I know what I'm doing. You know, that's the problem, is, yeah. and, and that's what people aren't willing to accept. You have to be willing to say, okay, I don't know everything, and I'd like to learn all the possibilities of what this could be before I say what I think that it is. Absolutely. Yeah. I've been saying on this show for a long time, it's okay to say you don't know. That's like, that's the whole point of the show. If I knew anything, I wouldn't be doing the show. I don't know shit. So that's why, uh, you know. And I think a lot of people, that's why this, we is do why, we do. this is why, you know, it, it would be hard to accept it as a science is that people take the evidence that they get very seriously and very personally. And when someone says that that's not true, and I'm kind of telling you why it's not true, you know, usually, or you hope that it's in a good way, although oftentimes not, all of a sudden you're not attacking or you're not, um, um, in, you know, criticizing the evidence. People feel as if you're attacking them or you're criticizing them because it's something very personal to them. Now, whether that's because it's right. a reflection of the way that they investigate or whether it's a reflection of the way that they 
um, 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 interpret information. Like, no, I know, no, I know what I'm talking about. I know what an orb, what the, I know the difference between a, you know, a water or a dust orb and, and a, what, what's, you know, a demonic entity right there. I know that difference. You know, it, it, <laughs> it, it boils down to they, they think you're attacking them. And so I yeah. never look at, at, at pictures from people. You know, after I wrote, you know, I wrote a book about, you know, it's a horrible book, but I wrote a book called Picture Yourself Capturing Ghosts on Film, which is how to get the best results and how to, like, analyze what's real and what's not. the one where you said you spend, like, fucking eight days looking at your EVP. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was not. If I could plug, that was my other book, Picture Yourself uh, Ghost Hunting, which is a really good book, I think. Um, okay. It was almost right, like a folklorist right. approach, but, um, you know, people would want you to should, show you know what you should do? I always want, like, if I ever... You should do. I, I've always wanted to do this. If you ever, uh, if, I, if I ever write a book, I would do something silly like this. But like, you should go to the bookstore, and if they have it, just like go to that page with the part you're talking about, where you're like spend three point five times, and just write in the book. <laughs> Be like, I was totally wrong about this. Here's my email address. <laughs> I'm really the author. Contact me, and I'll explain to you why that's not right. You know, just put a little <laughs> sticker there. Be cool. Don't play with your kids. <laughs> yeah, you should yeah, take approximately yeah. ten minutes. Go play with your kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, well, it's, well, it's interesting that uh, that that you that you said that, Tim, because uh, about about ghost groups getting uh, proliferating more. Because it's just like that must be a case where I'm out of the bubble in a sense. Because I remember, like I said, back when we were all doing those shows in Watertown, it was like, uh, I just remember a lot of the people that were ghost hunting, they, they sort of, I can't remember, the, I don't want to name drop them anyway, because it's like, um, I don't remember their names, and it's, it's kind of irrelevant, but it's like, they, you know, they they had just sort of formed a ghost group, they were really excited about it, and I'm pretty sure, like, the group just dissolved, but I think what happens is maybe maybe one or two people from those groups go and, and they make connections and sort of like, you know, the community just sort of grows from there in a sense. But it's like some people come, some people go, and people stick around. That's probably more uh, what the really reason, happens. The reason why you're not seeing it as much, though, is I think is it's become less of people's identity. Uh, you know, back like five, six, seven, eight years ago, it was everything to people to put themselves out there as a paranormal investigator because the world thought it was so cool and unique and different that, you know, you would make your MySpace page all about yourself and your paranormal group. You know, that was kind of yes, what was important. Yeah. You would have your Angel Fire site to be about uh, your paranormal group. And that, was, that was what mattered to people. And now I think it's just a smaller part of their life. It's still something that they're into, but they don't feel the need to broadcast it out there to the world. So there's a lot of people that, you know, if I share something on social media and I'm friends with them through another way, they come back at me and say, well, I didn't know you were into the paranormal. I'm into the paranormal too. And it's, it's become more of just something that, is part of who makes up who they are as opposed to being the dominating aspect of their identity. You know, if you try to connect with people on Twitter or other social media, there are so many less <clears throat> contacts you're making by finding, you know, the, the, the Bill Rick of Paranormal Society or, 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 this, you know, this, or some kind of cool acronym. Like, those are not out there anymore, but what you're finding more of is, you know, my name's John and I'm a paranormal enthusiast. And those are the people those, that are out there connecting to it, you know. And those people are maybe forming loose bonds or loose groups to kind of do stuff with, but it's not this focus on, uh, um, not as much of a focus as, um, you know, let's let's have a very formalized group, let's create a mission statement, let's create like Tim right, talked right. before the hierarchy and what everyone does, as opposed to I think there are probably maybe 
you know, more, you know, more or as many people investigating, they just form looser bonds and they're identifying themselves more importantly as themselves who likes the paranormal as opposed to, you know, the 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 resident tech guy of some certain group. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of like how it's been in a sense for me. I was never really part of a group or anything, but I I you know, I've become friends with listeners from the area and, you know, and we, you know, we don't go out and form form a group or do anything like formal, but we'll, you know, just one-on-one, we'll go out for a few beers and just talk this shit out about what, what we're seeing and what we're hearing lately and stuff like that. It's like we never really felt the compunction, you know. I kind of think at one point I was like, I should sort of like put together sort of a small, you know, like a, like an old ladies book club where you, where we'll gather <laughs> and just talk about this shit. And then I was like, you know what, nah, this what, what I'm doing now is working, you know. It's like this is... You know, I'm generating a lot of good ideas just hanging out with people and talking about shit without putting a name on it or, or doing anything, you know, like without, without formalizing it in any way. It's just like, you want to grab drinks? All right, cool. You know, and we talk about this stuff. So it's a lot easier than me like, the Stoughton Paranormal Paranormalists will be meeting in the Stoughton Library lobby at four, and then we'll be going to Chili's. <laughs> it's like, it's like you don't have to do that. You don't have to post that on Facebook. When you're able to do that, when you're able to just talk with people about stuff, you can actually have more interesting and introspective conversations than you can if you feel the need to kind of keep some level of, you know, factuality behind it. Like, it's, see, like Chris and I have conversations where we just drop any all pretense and whatever stupid theory that you have, throw it out there. It doesn't matter because that might actually be what ends up being. It's not about, like, oh, I have to impress this person with how much I know, and I have to act like I know about these things when I don't. It's just, it's no different than when, like, remember when you were, like, riding in the car with your friends when you were teenagers, and you're driving around at night, and all of a sudden you see, like, a a, a shooting star, and you just turn to your friend, and you're like, dude, what would you do right now if you saw a fucking UFO? Like, those experiences why do we have to be like well uh, the first thing I would do is I would get out my recorder and I would start taking readings and results and I would you know for, file a formal complaint with MUFON no let's just go back to what okay. would you do what happened to you right, right. and right. I think you know yeah. when you when you stop doing um, when you stop being as evidence based or talking about what is the best way to get evidence and once again I don't want to criticize that just it's not my path anymore and I think it's not the, the, the ultimate path that, that you know to truth then all of a sudden you can start talking about like some of the things that Tim's like really been focusing on, like vortexes, you know what I'm saying, or like thought forms. Are we creating the paranormal? Now you can start to answer those questions, and those are so much more interesting puddles to get wet in, you know? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Well, I was going to say, just Tim was talking about throwing out you know crazy ideas. You came on the right show because I'm always, you know, <laughs> I'll throw out the dumbest, most insane idea I can. If it comes into my head while I'm doing the show, I'll say it, usually with the preface of, you probably think I'm an asshole, but, you know, what if when you go to work, your cat can turn invisible? It's like, we don't know that for sure. I mean, <laughs> love all of America because that's the, that's the stuff that you do. You know, you'll get somebody on like, like, uh, like Dan Friedman or Jim Mars or Lauren Coleman or some of these legendary figures, and you'll start picking their brain and not just ask them questions like, uh, so how did you get into this? And, and tell us about this. Tell us about that. Like, you throw out high-concept ideas, and that's what we need to do. That's what this conversation should be. There's enough hacks out there trying to host their own radio shows that start off every show. I just did a show last week with this guy, Long. He was great. And I told him, I said, I'm, I'm getting tired of hearing hosts start off shows with, 
so tell us how you got involved in the paranormal. Like, no, like, let's not, who cares how I got involved in the paranormal? Let's talk about what I think yeah. the paranormal is. Let's talk about why I think this stuff happens. Let's talk about how I think that this stuff can happen to other people if they want it to happen. Those are the concepts that we should be talking about. Not all of this revision stuff of, what's the scariest thing that ever happened to you? You know what? It doesn't matter because it didn't happen to you. Let's talk about how right. we can make a thing happen to you. That's what matters. Yeah, and by the way, that thing was seven yeah. years ago. It has no reflection of who I am right now. Right. What I'm talking yeah, about. I know. Like, I've been on shows where people ask me, like, for the background, and it's like, how mo- how long do I have, dude? It's like, it's complicated. <laughs> you know, I got into this all excited, then I turned cynical, and now I'm like, I don't know what I am. But like, like a lot, a lot's happened in the last like almost 15 years. So, and I think, you know, to be honest with you, want, I think you Tim does a really great job of that, and t- I think Tim has a really great approach from that as well when uh, on Spooky South Coast. You know, where, where he has, um, you know, I, I, all the time I get uh, people who say that when we're booking them, I also have a list of questions in case you need them. And here's this. And I go, Tim don't need it. Tim Weisberg, that is. He, he doesn't need it. Like, because you know what? Like, yeah. that's the conversation you had with 7,000 other people. Like, instead, what the show should be and what, what, you, what both of you, Tims, do very well is like, all right, let's talk about, you know, what you do, what your ideas are. Let's talk about this. And and what happens is most people who are in this field who are the kind of people you would want to interview, they can talk for as long as you want them to talk about their shit. Like, you just need to guide the conversation. You just need to bring it back. You just need to ask probing questions. They're going to get it because, you know, chances are if you've got a good guest on, you've got that guest because they've got an idea that you want to present to the audience. And so you just got to right. ask the right kind of questions because no one really wants to know about how that person, when they were – guess what? Every person says, well, you know, when I was a kid, I was really into In Search Of, and then da 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 You know, and they, they kind of yeah. – we all have the same uh, uh, stepping stones, you know? All right, we got that out of the way. Now let's talk about, you know, some interesting stuff because, you know, I brought you on because you have this idea. And, and it's the same way. Like if I'm, if I'm meeting with people, I don't want to know – I don't want to know about your group. I'm talking about, like, you know, talking to people not on, on one of the shows – I don't really want to know about the group. I don't want to know how you formed. What I want to know is you guys were at this place. Hey, what happened there? What's the backstory behind it? Those are some really interesting com- Why? What do you think that means? Or like, well, wait a minute. You went to these two different places, and you experienced a very similar thing. Why do you think that is? Is it because it was in the same county? Like, Do you think like there's some interesting thing going on, like people believe that they should act a certain way when they're dead because they're brought up in this kind of area? You know, like Those are questions yeah. that are much more intriguing to play with than just, you know, um, well, tell me a little bit about yourself. It just ain't Tinder. I don't want to date you. No offense to either of you, Tims. You know, you're both handsome men. I don't, don't want to date you. I'm swiping this... left on you. You know, I Jeez, want to know about, like, what from? are the ideas that are out there. So you, you don't want to date me. You just want to use <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, wow. They're, they're I didn't know it was going to take such an ugly turn this evening. <laughs> well, it's... it's... <laughs> It's funny, you say that, yeah, because I, I kind of have a thumbnail rule where it's like, first-time guest, give us the bio of the background. But once you're on for a subsequent appearance, if you're so fortunate enough to be invited, um, you know, then it's like, I don't, people, if they want to know your thumbnail, then they got to go back to your first appearance. That's like how it works. I mean, I don't have time to catch people up to speed. I presume people have been, <laughs> you know, my, I, I just treat the audience as if they've been along for the ride with me the whole time. So it's like, they know Balzano's background. They know Tim's background. They don't really need, you know, we don't need to hear like Chris, uh, like you were saying, Chris, like the whole 
that's actually what's really kind of a template because as you were saying that, it was like, yeah, that's pretty much what happened with me, you know, unsolved mysteries, right. da, 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 that kind of thing. And next thing you know, it's like I'm mixed up in this shit, you know. But I was thinking it'd be funny. Uh, we should we should take a we should have a mutual agreement between the three of us that the next the next hack show we're on. If it's a good show, you know, you can you can take a pass. But if you're on a hack show. When they oh, when they bust out that first question, you just be like, you know, that's not even interesting at all. How did you get into this? <laughs> we we have this thing that we do where if we're on a show with a host who is a hack, we just take over the show. Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Like, we'll just totally just take things over and start asking the host questions, and just start yeah. you know answering our own you know asking our own questions of ourselves. And and we've done it numerous times. And I always listen to Chris when he's on shows and say. Oh, yep, nope, you got to do it, Chris, and then sure enough, it kicks right in. Well, it's See, interesting. The... I'm trying not to step on your toes. Oh, you trying to take over my show now? Right. You calling me a hack? <laughs> <laughs> so this is Balzano of well, America? Well, it's interesting. Uh, what's that? Yeah, Balzano, there you this go. Is yeah, you Balzano of America? Uh-oh, <laughs> turn on the NWO music. Um, but, yeah, no, it's interesting because this is something we, the three of us can talk about because, like I said, I – I'm an outsider in the ghost realm, so I'm kind of feeling around, you know, like a blind man in an orgy when it comes to talking about that stuff. But with podcasting, it's like I've been in this for a long time. You guys have been in this for a long time. It's like it's 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 kind of like how I perceive the ghost hunting to be, even though I was wrong about that, where it's like it's a lot of the same way. You see shows come up. You know, they got a logo first before before they have a show. And, you know, and they last maybe all of, like, six months, you know, or or not even that. Or, you know, it's it's like they don't really have, have what it takes to, to put the time and the dedication in or the interest and everything. And, 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 and then you see I've seen some shows kind of come up in the last few years that have stuck. I think that it's gotten better in the last, like, two or three, maybe four years where it's like I think – I think a lot of the Johnny Come Latelys have tried to do it and have, you know, who came along in the last three or four years, you know, have kind of stuck and, and, and established themselves as far as like this next wave. I mean, because Spooky South Coast, been all of America, we've been around for a long, long time at this point, you know. I mean, there are people, they're, like, we've been doing this for like, I don't know how long you guys have, but we've been doing this here for like 11 years, so, you know, right, it's, we're it's a long we're time. And, What's funny about it is, like, we always say, you know, the cream will rise to the top and, and eventually the, the pretenders will go away. But a lot of the pretenders hang around for a long time. And, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah, get yeah. like you're still on. You're still like every Thursday night, you guys still just all get together and do this. It's just I don't know. But it's, if it's what people are passionate about, there's a, a voice for that now. Everybody has a platform now. Uh, but the problem is with it is the way I see it is I don't I don't. I mean, I love radio. I love doing all the things that I do. I love writing for TV, but I don't do it because I just want to satisfy my own Jones for doing it. I do it because I feel like there's still stuff that I want to experience, stuff I want to learn, stuff I want to learn about, and information that I want to share with people. And I think if you just use that kind of approach to not only interviewing someone, but just in everything that you do, you know, just use yourself as a conduit for information and experience to get out to other people then you'll do all right. It's when you start putting your own ego into it, which too many people do with this. They, the paranormal is littered with people who were the unpopular kids in school that nobody ever wanted anything <laughs> to do. 
And they get into the stuff. They didn't have anything better to do on a Friday or a Saturday night. And then the next thing you know, this is this becomes their little group and their little clique, and they don't know how to handle uh, the social re- responsibility that comes with it. And it just becomes ego-driven. And, and it's not about I want to go out there and research the unknown and, and, and help people understand these strange things that are happening to them. It's I want to get on TV, and this is the way that I, I can do it. Right. You know, Tim and I had a yeah. – Back in the day, probably what seven, eight years ago now, we had a uh, a PR firm we were trying to start, and the first few that, people yeah. who approached us, oh uh, yeah, called Parallelations. The first few people who approached us were, okay, um, I've got this book and I want to promote this book. And we're like, okay, cool, we can do that. Like we can get you on different shows. We can, you know, kind of have a, a an approach for how you should be doing things. And then, like you know, very quickly it became. I want me to be a star. So it wasn't I was trying to film. I want to create me. Like I want to be on a TV show or I want to do. And it's kind of like, well, I don't, I don't know how to make you famous. <laughs> like you famous. Like right. what do you do? You know? And that's a really difficult thing. And I think like Tim's saying, you know, so many people wrap up their identity in, in this thing. And, and it might come from when you're the outsider and all of a sudden the outside thing is cool. There's a, you know, it, and, and if it's something that you do, you're like, I know I do it better than that person because I've been doing it longer. I've been doing it, you know, more engaged in it. Like, that's what becomes really difficult to, to fight that temptation to want to be bigger than you are. And because, especially because you see the average person. You know, it's, it's thinking that you sing really well and going on American Idol. You see the average, what seems like the average person get a TV show, and you think that that's attainable. But what you don't realize is, you know, that's your some, one person – Guess what? It's like the NFL, man. There are a million people who who investigate the paranormal, and there's not that many shows. It just seems like there are. You know, people can't. You know, people. Uh, it becomes really a hard thing to to approach this from a I want to get famous standpoint. You know, those people who right. were on the shows, they were recommended by people. Why are they recommended by people? Because they were go-to people for them in the first place, or they were hot. Well, it yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things about it too is like people always say to me. Well, how come this guy gets to have a show and this group has a show and this person's on TV? I'm better than them. I'm smarter than them. And I have to, like, explain to people, okay, first of all, people don't want to watch folks on television that they feel are smarter than them. Like, that's just something that, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's something that is, you know, that's why shows like, you know, Honey Boo Boo and all that stuff become popular because people like to watch people that they feel like they're better than. And that's why some of the folks are watching these goofy shows that are out there. But some of the ones that are good, that are smart, are because they are not, you know, they're, they're taking you on, down this road at a level at which everybody can understand. And not everybody who does paranormal research can do that. You know, Chris, you and I are both writers, and we both have been taught, we've both done, you know, uh, whether it be books or, or newspaper articles or whatever, we're taught to write to a certain grade level. You know, we're told to, to write to like a sixth grade level. And so that's where uh, the good paranormal researchers that are good for television come in. It's not that they have a sixth-grade education. It's that they're able to take the information that they're, they're putting out there and break it down so that somebody with a sixth-grade education can understand. And that's where a lot of paranormal researchers get frustrated because they say, no, 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 you should be up here with me. I want to talk about high-concept things, and I want you to be at this high-concept with me. But the way to get people on board with what it is that you're saying is to give it to them in an easily digestible manner so that you can build up to those higher concepts. Yeah, and, right, and exactly. I can see yeah. that when I talk to people about what I do and when I talk to idea, you know, about ideas that I have, 
I can very quickly tell whether they want the cool little spooky experience that I had or whether they want to really talk about ghosts or whether they really want to talk about uh, um, uh, urban legends or something. And then I can like, oh, uh, no, okay. And then, you know, and then I got scared and something jumped out. And they're like, oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, I, those were not the people who I could talk to about those high concepts. And what you find is there are not enough of those people to sustain a TV show like Ghost Stalkers or something else that, that had these really great ideas that were being presented that people um, weren't necessarily ready for, even though that show itself also had a, gr- you know, uh, a great amount of, um, of interesting, exciting things that were going on with it and stuff that was entertaining to watch and spooky and creepy to watch. They're, you know, I'm saying like people want, they want kind of what they want. They want what's on their level. So it's difficult to yeah. write to that. It's difficult to be trapped in that. And so, you know, one of the things that I've experienced is <clears throat> almost paralysis with that because I want to talk about these things. I don't want to talk about that. that I don't want to talk about just what happened. I want to talk about the higher ideas. And that's one of the reasons why I left the paranormal was I felt no one wanted to hear that shit anymore. Like no one wanted to talk about that stuff. And so it was like, well, you know what? If this is what you guys are interested in, that's fine. You know, that's not where I am, so I'm leaving. And I think the, so those inter- interesting people who are still in the field, someone like Jeff Belanger, um, they've come to terms with that, and they don't care. They want to present their ideas, and those are the people who end up being trailblazers. Right. Yeah, I mean, you can't really, like, you know, you can't, like, leave – I mean, I, I, it, I, it's inadvisable, I guess, in a sense, in my opinion, where it's like you can't really – if you want to talk high concepts, it's the same way with UFOs and shit, what you guys are talking about uh, with this thing, with, sort of with these TV shows and stuff, too. You know, you see these these magazine shows or whatever they are, you know, like recreations, it's always like famous UFO cases. And, it's, you know, the big complaint is like, where, you know, where are the high concept ideas? Where's this? It's always just like ETs and stuff, you know? But – you can do your own just do your own shit. That's that's kind of my advice to people. It's like, you know, if you're gonna do something, do something and if you wanna be different, by all means please be different and do something different. And if people don't wanna hear it, it doesn't matter. There are still some people that wanna hear it and you know, who cares? Like you you shouldn't be searching for an audience unless you're unless having an audience is all you really fucking want, you know? And right, it, I mean, it shouldn't be. It sh- it shouldn't be your, your motivation. People ask me on a daily basis, you know, what do I have to do to get on TV? How do I get on TV? Listen, I think at last count, I've been involved in like six potential casted projects, and none of them have gone. So I'm not the person to ask about that. You know, it's it's, it's not about being on TV. If being on TV is your, your, your goal, your ultimate goal, then, you know, try out for American Idol. Try out for America's Got Talent, because it's just, yeah, it's big not. Brother, yeah, big yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they no, dude. If they if they had any talent, they would they would already they would, you know they would already wouldn't want to be on TV. So they clearly they're they're more set for like a Survivor type show, you know, where it's just like we just need fresh bodies to throw on an island. You and know? guess what? Like if you're out there doing stuff, there's an audience no matter what you're doing, no matter what your your approach to this is. Talking to those people, like trying to reach people on whatever level you're at, you know. And and my my co-host Nyla Chris has a really great perspective on this because I'll be looking at our numbers, and I can have Spooky South Coast podcast numbers up on one screen and our podcast numbers up on another screen, and I'm looking at them, 
you know, and it's kind of depressing, right? Because Spooky South Coast is established. It's like it's it's people have been subscribing to it for years. People have been going back in the archives, or they binge it like like Netflix, and they find it, and then they watch, they listen to a hundred other episodes over the course of the next month. And I look at that, and I get really frustrated. And I'm like, oh, but I'm, you know, we're doing some interesting, new, interesting things. Like, why can't we get? And she looks at me. She says, you know, dude. This episode had 500 people listen to it. Imagine if you were talking to a room of 500 people about your ideas. You know? Yeah, or, for sure. Well, yeah, only you know, only 100 people listen to it on like the first day, and that's frustrating when you know the potential for some of these other shows that are out there. And and she'll have that like 100 people. 100 people stop their day today to listen to us talking about some stupid shit in a graveyard. You yeah, know, I and know. I think that the people would even care. Yeah. Right. When right. We I mean, hand to God, dude, that perspective. I think if you can gain that perspective, it's really healthy, and it really will push what everyone else is doing forward as well. We were we absolutely, were, yeah, because you're on. on it's kind of like the idea of going in on the ghost hunt without the equipment. It's like you're unencumbered by expectations, and right. you're free to do whatever you want. I mean, I was just going to say, like, hand to God, folks. This is absolutely true. I don't even, I couldn't even tell you how many people listen to this show. I don't look. You know, and all the people who, like, either hear about the show or ask them to be on the show, and they're like, oh, that's a big show. It's like, I couldn't fucking tell you, dude. I assume it's a big show, but I don't have any idea how many people listen to the show. I mean, the only time I ever worried really about the listenership was, like, last year when I stopped doing the show for pretty much the year, and I was bringing it back this year, and I was like, oh, geez, I probably lost a whole bunch of listeners. And it was like, who gives a fuck? You know, yeah. if they bailed because I wasn't doing a show, you know, fuck them. You know, this final season's for the real fans, the ones who stuck around. You know, who knew I'd be coming back with something outrageous and awesome, which is this final season. So to me, it's like the idea of needing that validation, that's a mistake, folks. Like, you don't want to fall into that trap. Right. I think the best shows and the best investigators – and the best people who are involved in this are the ones that understand that it's not about anybody else but yourself. It's not about anything. I mean, it's different. Uh, when I say this, like, don't be a paranormal. Not in an egotistical way. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, don't try to be a person that's going into somebody's house to help them with a haunting in their home and only be thinking about yourself. You know, that's, that's a bad approach. Not everybody right. is geared to doing residential cases. I know I'm not. But when, when people are looking at this and saying, like, listen, I don't care about all that other outside noise. I'm just on my own journey here, and I've got to figure some things out for myself, and I've got to just do things that I'm interested in and I'm entertained in. Uh, you will find things in your life that hold your interest for a set amount of time, and then eventually they might fade away. You might find something that becomes a lifelong passion. You never know which way it's going to pull you, but the fact is you have to put yourself into it and fully invest yourself, and that has to be what is your, your motivating factor. If I tried to get into things just because I thought other people would think a certain way about me, I'd never like any stuff that I do. You know how much shit I used to take from people even in 1990, 1999 for liking wrestling when everybody was walking around in Austin 316 shirt? But yet I decided, hey, yeah. I think I'm going to put myself out there with my face in the newspaper every week writing about this stuff. And if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be doing the things that I am now. So sometimes you just got to take that leap of faith, but make sure that you're making, taking that leap of faith because it's what you want to do and because it's something that's drawing your passion. That's right. Like Steve Harvey says, you just have to jump. I don't know if you know that. Check that out. <laughs> Go on YouTube. Look up Steve Harvey Jump. You'll be blown away. He's the man. 
I'm a secret. I'm a secret huge Steve Harvey fan. So I got to, <laughs> someone sent me. I guess it's not a secret day. now. I was like what? No, every, well, actually, it's a it's a, a running joke in a sense because I'll, I'll I'll name drop Steve Harvey whenever I can. But yeah, there's some like crazy motivational video by Steve Harvey called Jump that's like it actually it makes you want to like run through a brick wall. It's like, it's like that. It's like that good where you're like, fuck yeah, man, I can conquer the world. So I re- I recommend. And the point and that what he says is you're never going to be happy unless you just make that leap of faith. Uh, you know, and pursue like your passion. And if you don't pursue that passion, you're never gonna be happy in life. You know, you may be successful or you may get by, but you're never gonna really know like what your full potential could have been. Right. So it's good stuff. Are you Neil deGrasse oh, Tyson? Man, you know, you got to make up your mind. What's that? I said, are you Neil deGrasse Tyson? You were an or are you a Kardashian? <laughs> Oh man, that's a tough choice now. I don't know. That's a tough choice. Those Kardashians have a good life. Yeah, that's the question. Uh, who's living? Yeah, Neil deGrasse. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like Neil deGrasse Tyson because he's like super skeptical. Not that I blame him, but it's like, uh, I don't, I don't need all that, man. I have my own self doubts about all this shit. I don't need you confirming it. <laughs> kind of a dick. Yeah, he is kind of a dick. It, you know. A lot of skeptics are. It's too bad because, like, I've reached out to them and tried to work with some skeptics, and it's like I've always been disappointed. You know, they always, they, you know, they, they just, they, they, they don't play on the up and up or whatever that means. You know what I mean? They, 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 it's a, it's a imbalanced deck or something. There's an expression I can't come up with it. Have you have you worked with Ben Radford? I like Ben Radford. Yeah. No, I haven't had Ben Radford on the show. No, I've only had like one or two skeptics, but. He's a skeptical, but he's not an he's skeptic, but he's not an asshole about it. So, I've always liked him. Yeah, no, I'm sure I've heard good things about him, so I can't really say per se. Dropping. But it's like I'm just name dropping. <laughs> just name dropping. Well, it's yeah, a good name to drop. We're talking about skeptics. Right. There I mean, I was just um, celebrity this past week, so you know, let me talk about all my friends. Oh, I did hear this guy's TV show coming out. I heard. I apologize to Chris. Although Chris probably has Chris probably has heard this story already, but I since a lot of my listeners are wrestling fans and, and the rest hate the fact that I talk about it sometimes, it's the perfect opportunity to bring this up because I saw the picture on your Facebook, Tim. What the fuck were you doing with Chris Jericho? <laughs> what? You're not gonna believe this if I tell you. We were talking about the Bridgewater. I think, well, no, I think you. I, I have a. I have a pretty good idea that you were putting a, together a sizzle reel or something like that. But yeah, it's a while uh, ago, last, right? Last year we did a sizzle reel for a, a possible show in the Bridgewater Triangle that didn't go anywhere. But uh, I got the chance to uh, meet with Chris Jericho, and actually he interviewed about my experiences in the Triangle and what I thought about the Triangle, and you know I got to actually talk to one of my heroes for a few minutes. And, I, listen, I don't geek out very often about things, but that was one thing that I couldn't help but geek out about because I've been a fan of that guy since before anybody else knew who he was when he was toiling away in the, the cruiserweight division of WCW, and I said, someday this guy is going to be a huge star. He's going to have to go to the WWF oh, yeah. now to do it, but he's a huge star, and I was right on the money with that, so I, I, I'm very yeah, proud yeah, of that. I was in the same I – think, I think, yeah, we were part of that same sort of like fan – 
uh, smart community back in the day where it was like, if Chris Jericho would just go to WWF, he'd be fucking, he'd be the next big star. And it was like, it actually turned out that way. So, right. and I yeah, it was, he's had an amazing career. I ruined that when I predicted that the next big breakout star would be Lash LaRue. That went nowhere. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's, 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 that's a Sean David Morton level prediction. <laughs> We're thinking about you, Sean David Morton, wherever you are on the run. Did you know about that, Sean David Morton? Uh, well, that yeah, I've heard it. I was following it along with, uh, with, with, with on social media. So, Yeah, he's on the run from uh, <laughs> the feds. Oh, man. I don't think he's listening, but it would be great if he was. He's somewhere in a shanty town right now like, hey, thanks, guys. Um <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Well, it's funny because it, I don't know about you, but the it's a weird thing because I'm I'm friends with uh, Sinister Minister Jim Mitchell from the wrestling oh, yeah. world I've, on, Jim has on Facebook. Me telling me how much he likes Bukowska. Yeah, and I've talked to him a few times, and it's like it's very humbling because it's so weird. And you know, after we just went on this huge rant about oh, you shouldn't want to be famous and shit, and it's not like that. It's all it's very jarring because like Jim even said he's like he, he's like I just want to ask you a million things, and it's like it's like I want to ask you a million things, dude. You know, it's like we're each fans of each other in a weird way, and it's it, that that's one of the cooler parts of this when you run into somebody that you're like, holy shit, you like what I do? Like that's no, that's jarring, man. Chris and I both experienced the same thing with, uh, with the recent passing of, of our Gary Patterson, who was pretty much, you know, one of our huge heroes in this, in this genre, uh, just as a writer and as a person and just a, a fantastic being. And we got an email from one of his close personal friends who told us, oh, no, no, he talked about you guys all the time. And, like, that's very humbling to look at somebody yeah. who you say, this is somebody I idolize, and he actually thought, you know, strong feelings about me and and Chris. I know that that's had the same effect on you as it did on me. Yeah, because you know you, he was such a nice guy, and you'd heard so many good things about him, and other people, you know, said, and I, "Oh yeah, we, we were able to talk." And so, you know, especially right at that time uh, when he passed, it's the the bloom seemed to be a little bit off the rose because I was like, "Oh well, maybe he was just a really nice guy and made everyone feel that way." And then when we get this feedback that he actually was telling other people that you know he loved being on the show or that he thought we were really great people. You know, it was really touching. It was almost kind of like, you know, a pat on the back from, from beyond the grave because it was like, wow, you know, like we, um, you know, in – I always do a whole lesson with my kids where I'm like, go and email your your hero. Go and email someone. Who knows? You go, you know, hit, hit them up on Twitter, like with something personal or search them out. You know, I was, I've been able to talk to all the people who were on my Mount Rushmore as it shifted. I've emailed or I've called. Jeff Belanger used to be on my Mount Rushmore until I realized what a, what a big jerk he was, right? And now him and I are good friends. Like, there are other people. Some of them have been good experiences. Some of them have been bad. But, like, you know, go out there and engage those people. It's really weird to find out that sometimes, like, they're into your stuff. Like, they've heard of you before or they've, they've read your book or, or something like that. And they, you know, I find this when I'm booking guests. Uh, for Spooky South Coast sometimes, people would be like, oh, my word. You know that, like, when I was doing research, like, I read your book, and that was one of the things. Or I used to listen to Spooky South Coast when I was, when I was you know, working on this thing, early project of mine. I can't believe you're actually approaching me to be on the show. And it's like, we're not that popular, dude. We're not that important. Like, we're, we're not stars or anything like that, especially, you know, not me. Push you off to Tim. He's the star. But, like, 
um, you know, we find this all the time that the, these people who have influenced us are also being um, um, influenced by us, and that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I yeah, that's one of the great parts about doing this kind of thing. Go ahead, Tim. I had an experience uh, a, a couple of weeks ago at Middleborough Paracon, which uh, was, you know, this this local event happened that they brought in. Uh, Nick Roth was there from Ghost Adventures and Paranormal Lockdown for something else he was doing, and they kind of piggybacked on that with this Paracon. So, you know, we're upstairs uh, standing there because Nick's a friend of mine because I worked on Ghost Talkers for him, and we're standing up there amongst the celebrities, you know, the, the second-tier celebrities that were the guests of the Paracon are standing up there with people that are on, you know, paranormal TV shows that are hits now, like Elizabeth Saint and Katrina Weidman and, and Nick Ruff, and we're just, like, kind of hanging out in the back. But in this huge line of people waiting to meet, to meet these three stars, people are like, oh, that's, that's Tim over there. Oh, that's Stephanie Burke over there. Oh, you know, that's John Bright. And people are, like, recognizing us. And that was just very weird. When there was a, a kid who, you know, he's he's got some issues, and when – People were saying, you know, he, he wants to meet you. It's going to make his day to go over and meet you. I was like, me? Like, he's waiting in line to meet Nick Ross. Like, why does he want to meet me? But you realize that people look at you as being somebody that they feel approachable with. You know, like, they feel like you're the one who is kind of the the uh, the conduit from, from where they are to where people like Nick are. And that's very humbling to realize that people put you in that light because, you know, I still... You have to come to work every day. Do my regular. I have to go home and wash dishes. And, you know, it's just yeah, a regular yeah. person. You can make a difference one way or well, another. Yeah. Get that, Tim. You get people who say, you know, that Banal of America is like their release, like that. You, you, you know, people that say you are responsible for opening my mind to things that I never would have thought of before, and it's, it's humbling to have to play that kind of a role, and you, you almost want to be like Wayne and Garth and just get down on your knees and say, "We're not worthy. We're not worthy." <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, it's like we're like the girls next door. We're not the famous ones, so <laughs> we're we're the attainable <laughs> paranormal celebrities. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's the been exact a wild opposite. ride, man. It's been... Go ahead, girl. I, I get the exact opposite. When I go places, people ask me if, I can, if they can get a picture, and literally this has happened to me, and I go, sure. And they, they go, hand me the, the camera. camera, and they put their arm around Jeff Belanger. They go, okay, take the picture. So I'm like, no, I. Oh, that happened to us in the Bridgewater Triangle documentary. I'm like, dude, I'm on screen right now. I'm right over there. That is, is it a focus? Can take five or six of them for us, whatever, dude. So I got the exact opposite. So someday I'll be where you guys are. Next time, just take a selfie and hand them back the camera, <laughs> like a, like a mic like a mic drop moment. Be like, all take right, bro, there you go. There's, there you go. There's your picture, buddy. Yeah. Well. Yeah, man, it's been crazy. I mean, it's hard to really... What I like about Spooky Stealth Ghost is uh, you guys have integrated some video into the thing, right? Now it's like people can watch you. It's like IMUS kind of style. Is that is that still happening with the show? Yeah, we, we came up with this idea a couple of years ago. See, we've always kind of had to form our own technological advances here because it seemed like what we wanted to do, the, the station didn't really catch up with. We were trying to stream audio over the internet of the show before they actually had streaming capability. So we were doing it like in 2007 with Matt Costa coming in here, starting the show, flying home, uh, flying back to Wareham to my house 20 minutes down the road, streaming what was going on on the radio over the computer through a microphone from a, from a boombox, flying back here to finish the show. Oh, my show. God. 
we were doing all kinds of weird stuff to try to make this happen. And, uh, and a couple of years ago, we came up with the idea of doing live streaming video. And it was, the original idea was that it was just going to be a webcam that you could watch while you were listening to the show on, on the radio or on the Internet. And we just realized over the years that we could expand it more and more. So now we have multiple cameras in studio. We have graphics. We have uh, all kinds of different things that we can bring into it. We do a green screen once in a while. And it's, it's become something that has become so successful on YouTube and such an integral part of what we do that uh, actually starting this week, we are submitting it to the local cable access station every week, and they're going to start running it. And we're looking at the possibility of putting it out to either more cable access stations or, or maybe getting it on something like Amazon. Yeah, because it's different. Like I said, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine where this is going, but it seems like the video thing is the next. Uh, and I'll credit my buddy Jeff Ritzman, who sort of like observed this with me in a conversation uh, off the air a few months ago. But it's like, yeah, it seems like video is really the next stage in a lot of this stuff, especially because it's easier to do, to do your own videos. Wait, you know, it's kind of like video is, I think, on the... It's kind of like just about right before the podcast, like at the stage right before podcasting kind of exploded. You know what I mean? It's still, if it's still complicated for a moron like me, for like a like a a, te- a technophobe like me, then I'm still not there yet. But even I'm starting to do video, and that's how I know. Like, you know, I'm like if your mom starts using slang. So I think like <laughs> it's 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 getting to the point where video is getting even more. Uh, you know, prevalent and it's going to be the sort of the next wave of a lot of the stuff. And to throw it back to what to what Chris said is that it's all cyclical. So uh, you know, people will get their fill of the video, and then you know it's going to be hot all of a sudden. Fucking books, book. You know, and, and our we'll minds waiting. Gonna, you know, we're we're going to all be like. I don't know how old you guys were. Maybe like 10 years or so. We're all going to be like in our 50s or, or late 40s, and we're going to be like, books, man, they're back. This is great. <laughs> books are back, you know. People are sick of carrying around a phone and watching videos. They just want to read books. So, you know, hold out hope to all those authors out there. I think one of the things that video has done for Spooky South Coast, too, is that especially now that it's 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 playing live on, on YouTube, like that that kind of technology exists, and you can have the chat room running via YouTube, is that I've seen an increase of uh, people viewing the show and getting involved in the in the chat room, you know, or at least being involved in the moment. Um, you know, we used to have it on Ustream, we used to have it on a few other services, and we never seemed to get as much audience participation unless it was like a controversial guest or something like that. I pop in because I can't always be there because, you know, I'm not live on the air. I pop in and I see and I see 47 people are, are currently watching it, you know, and some of those people are talking back and forth. And, you know, the strong personalities are there and as they are in our, every chat room or, you know, they're but, – but I'm like – I take a step back and I'm like, wow, 47. I remember when, you know, we would have the same five people and we knew we were recording it. Uh, because it was it was part of the integrity of the show to be in a studio, but then also we knew that it was being listened to on podcast, you know. And now it's it's that video element I think is really drawing people in, but it's so much easier for them to access it because they're, they're just going to YouTube. They're on YouTube anyway, watching videos of cats. Like why not watch Tim instead? I know that we've made right, it, Chris, exactly. because 
you know, not only do we have some of the paranormal quote unquote celebrities watching the show, you know, John Tenney watching it, Dustin Parry, Porter, all these people are, are Amy Bruni tuning in, watching the show every week uh, on the live stream. That's not what impresses me. I knew we made it when J.C. fucking Webster started showing up in our chat. <laughs> That's when I knew that we had made it. Oh, when the wow. guy who harasses Art Bell and George Norrie tunes in and listens to our show on Saturday nights and is in the chat room spouting his J.C. crap that he always says on the air, and now he's chat- spouting in our chat room. That's when I knew that we finally hit the big time. Well, there you go. <laughs> uh, so SpookySouthCoast.com, that's the website, right? Yes, it is. That's the way to get it. And also now we have the free Spooky South Coast app. You can watch and listen to the oh, show right there. There you go. Smart and join in the chat room and everything and all that stuff. So nice, nice. And Chris, what's your what's your what's your uh, your hub now? Tripping on Legends. My hub. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, trippingonlegends.wordpress.com. Um, but if you go to tripping on, you know. Uh, www.facebook.com backslash tripping on legends. Jesus. Um, it, now, which is really encouraging, if you just type in tripping on legends, it's one of the first thing that comes up. Uh, so it's not legend tripping; it's tripping on legends. Um, <clears throat> those are our main things. We're looking to get a, you know, we're looking to to maybe hit up John uh, John Horrigan for a shorter uh, URL for for tripping on legends. But for right now, <laughs> it's, it's, it's he probably already site. Yeah, he owns <laughs> he owns all twelve of the. Different variations of uh, tripping on legends, I'm sure. So, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. right now it's still trippingonlegends.wordpress.com is probably the best way. But, but like I said, the Facebook is what we're probably most active on. My favorite moment of this entire like... you giving your web address and saying Jesus when you give it up. <laughs> <laughs> this is the three-way dance. This is why it's so hard to pull off. Go ahead, Chip. Your show, Tim. Go ahead. No, no, no. I, oh no. I, I thought you were going to make a point there. I don't know. We all we all cross talked. So, just pointing out my favorite was your reaction to his web address. That was that was the best. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was it, it was polluted. Does someone actually own trippingonlegends.com, or have you have you not been able they to? They do not. Uh, no, I'm, I was just joking. Get... They do not. So, if you want to go oh, fund me the money to, to make thing, it, dude. What do you? What... What are you waiting for? Now, In a website. you guys, we're, we're like right on the edge of the of the thing. I just had one more question, uh, and it may turn into like more. So can you just kind of dribble on a little bit longer, like 15 minutes or something like that? If need be. Uh, I did, Anything right. for you. I don't see there why not. Go. My that I, I can't. Pretty soon they're going to have you like cleaning the, cleaning the rooms in the studio, Tim. They're going to be like, all right, dude, enough. Get out of Get, get out of where the room you're in now. You gotta start working. No, I guess because the the only thing I wanted to briefly touch on at the very end was the and I'm glad you guys mentioned our Gary Patterson because uh, I, you guys did an awesome tribute show and I didn't get a chance to call in and uh, as I was saying to Chris before the show started, it was like um, he the news about him passing away came out like on a Saturday morning and amazingly and eerily. Uh, he was scheduled to be on you guys' show uh, the following Saturday, which is, like, chilling in a lot of ways. But um, just with the nature of the world nowadays, um, I had kind of – I don't know, I wouldn't say I'd forgotten, but it had slipped out of my mind by the time I did the show on Tuesday. So I never even really mentioned it, or if I did, it was sort of, like, in passing. But, um, yeah, we had him on the show. He was a great dude, and 
just a huge loss because he was such a great fucking storyteller and a wealth of um, really unique and I think important information because uh, no one really there's only a handful of people like who even know about this rock and roll folklore and I'm willing to bet like kind of like how we talked about there's subsequent generations of people in this stuff I bet you that if if you were out now looking for like a rock and roll folklorist, you would uh, you would find anyone that's like new is just basing their shit on our Gary Patterson. So yeah, you know, and maybe there's a couple other people that are still that kind of came along with him and and were friends with him and sort of know the stuff. But you know, it's like a whole vein of cool shit uh, was lost with our Gary Patterson passing, and it's it's really it's really really sad, folks. Um, I was. Th- I was also saying to Chris before the show started, and maybe you can speak to this, Tim, it's it's just eerie how many people I've had on the show over the years that have passed away. It's like, I think I've, I think I've had more guests on the show pass away than, like, people I actually know who've died, like, over the last ten years of, uh, you know, that that I've been doing the show. So, and, 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 before you booked oh, Gary Patterson was, what's that? Why didn't you tell us that before you booked us? <laughs> Now. I know. Well, I have I have both of you on now, so it's even more like uh, you're you're even more in the danger oh, zone. Crap. But but yeah, RGP was was one of a kind, man, and um, it, it's a real it's a really big loss, and and you know that's all I I want to say about that. It's kind of makes if me you, very sad. If you add, to think about if you add to that the list of of people we've approached who have rejected us and not wanted to be on our show, and have since passed. You know, that list becomes huge. So not only our guests, but our rejected guest list is, is a, a lot of, a huge family of people that we've, uh, that we've lost in the past 10 years. That's screw you, huh, yeah. Holder? <laughs> oh, look? no. Oh, man. Uh, the only, yeah, that, that, I wanted to make that point. And the last sort of like, I guess, question, question thing was, um, just because when you were talking about this, Chris, I felt like, oh, shit, I should have circled back a little bit to this. Because um, even though we laughed about, like, the bio background part, I guess because um, this is an exciting project and I like what you're doing a lot. And I want you to kind of explain it a little Like, what when you say legend tripping, I think people can kind of figure it out. But I also feel like we're doing a disservice to the idea by not sort of, like, explaining what this is. Like I said, I think we kind of danced around it, but we never really kind of, like, put a fine point on sort of the concept of legend tripping. Well, it, you know, it's a play... Tripping on legends is a play on on legend tripping. So I, I like to call it tripping on legends because... I mean, also embracing the mistakes of, of that are going along and the failures that we have doing this. Um, but it's, mm-hmm. the, the idea oh, is... Oh, I like that, yeah. The idea is that there are, um, there are a lot of ghost stories out there that they may be true, they may not be true, um, but they've, in, they've, they've caught in this shell around them that's filled with urban legend and folklore. Um, that a true haunting may happen, may not happen, um, but we've pushed so much of our uh, our storytelling onto it. We've pushed kind of the way that we view ghosts. And so you take something like the red-headed hitchhiker in Massachusetts, right? So that's common ground for all three of us. Those initial sightings of the red-headed hitchhiker may have happened or may not have happened. But in that time, since, that, since, since 1994, when, that, when uh, uh, New England Ghost Files came out, 
so many people have wanted to touch that story, and so many people have told and retold that story that there is this uh, – it's, it's its own beast, right? And so a paranormal investigator would say, well, cut through that shit, right? Just get to it. Does the ghost exist? Does the ghost not exist? Can we, can we videotape it? Can we you know, get a reading from it? And Tripping on Legends is really about being like, who gives a fuck? Dude, people are telling really cool stories about this. You know what we should do? We'll go out. We'll go to that site. We'll try to do every single ritual that we hear people online are doing about it or that people are telling about it, and we'll see if something happens. And you know what? We'll act as kind of like uh, they can't go out. Someone can't go out there to the site and do it themselves. We're going to do it for them. We're almost kind of like living, breathing urban legends uh, acting as like uh, that for the audience. You know what I'm saying? Like Tim always says he acts as the avatar for the audience when he's on Spooky South Coast. In a lot of ways, you know, so if I can steal his shit, in a lot of ways, you know, Natalie and I are going out there and we're saying, hey, have you heard this this story? It happens in your town. It happens right at this site right here too. Let's together do it, the ritual that's connected to it and see what happens. And most times nothing happens, but that's not the point. The point is that we went out there and we experienced it, and it gives us an opportunity to tell all the different stories that are about it. And hopefully some of that involves then telling some of the history of that location too. Wow, there you go. That was passionate. Nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. No, I mean, it, it's a cool thing because, like you were saying earlier, the expectation of what we need to have at the end of the day. And the funny thing is, like, we've gotten really good feedback. Like, I think sometimes just her and I sitting down talking about a really interesting story, talking about what it might mean, going to some place, and then some people, you know, then someone will turn around and say to me, like, wow, you guys sound really good together. It sounds really good. And I'm like, it, it's just us sitting around talking, you know? And it was interesting that last week her and I hit the road and we went through, I think, eight, a total of eight states in a week uh, looking for these, trying to track down these different haunted locations and urban legends. And um, we had a following. So we did an urban legend. Uh, it was an area where we were supposed to put a, um, you know, it was a, like your traditional uh, urban legend about the devil is here. This is where the devil landed. In this case, he ran around in circles trying to think of evil things to do. If you put something in the middle of the circle, it gets thrown out, right? And so we put something yeah. in the circle, right? And so we're like, okay, we're putting this thing in the circle. We're leaving now. We're going to go do some other stuff, and you know, we'll report back later what happened. Well, we ended up getting involved in something else. We never posted what happened. All of a sudden, people started hitting it up. Hey, what happened? Did it get thrown out of the circle? Did it get up thrown out? And I think that that story, you know, maybe that's proof of the paranormal, and that's what they're involved with. But I just think it was like, you know, these urban legends end on cliffhangers. And I think people want to kind of like breathe in that stuff, and they kind of want to experience it. And that's what her and I do uh, as we go out. Just remember, Chris, the of an entire summer of Who Shot J.R., was way more interesting than finding out who actually shot JR. <laughs> right, exactly. exactly. This is yeah, the build up to the to the mystery is almost always <laughs> almost the big but, reveal is almost always uh I was gonna say Tim, to bring it back to wrestling, sometimes it's way more interesting to be the guy chasing the title than to actually have be the guy that holds the title, you know? Exactly. That's absolutely true. That's yeah, that's that's yeah, that's old school wrestling like one oh one, yeah. The the money's in the chase. Well, uh, on that note, I appreciate you guys have gone way out of your way to uh, to put this one together. I know Chris is on vacation. He's up here uh, in the hinterlands of New England. I don't know how long you're here or, or anything about that, Chris, but 
you know, if you're around for a while, give me a shout sometime, uh, you know, in the next week or whatever, and we'll go get beers if you want, for sure. And I know cool, Tim's cool. hanging out at, at his radio studio uh, at the radio station. So um, these guys went above and beyond here to make this happen, and I really appreciate it. And I love this conversation, man. It's like we just did the intros, fumbled all over each other trying to get these fucking phone lines straightened out, and then just immediately proceeded to start smashing the fourth wall and and just did that <laughs> for two hours. So um, I really I can't thank you enough, you know. It was, it was, it was awesome. I really enjoyed it a lot. So um, thanks, and thank best you, of Jim. luck. I really and, appreciate it, you know. Oh, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. And like I said, you guys went above and beyond, and you were on my short list because I knew we'd have a conversation like this, but I didn't think it would be this. You know, I thought it would be kind of thing we got into at the end of the show. It's like, all right, now let's talk shit about how fucked up things are. But this was like, we just went right into it. And I, I really appreciate that, guys. So thank okay, you and I so much. And, uh, oh, I just want to take the yeah? opportunity to say that I think, I think this season has, has, uh, has kicked ass. Like I've been really enjoying the shows that you've been having this season, I, and I'm and your your all star guest list until you until you lowered your standards and had us on tonight. Your guest list has been crazy, so um, so I just want to compliment you on the great work that you're doing this season. And I usually don't do that when I'm on a radio show. Oh, well, hey, so consider yourself uh, lucky that we're 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 praising you instead of uh, you know talking down to you like we do to most hosts. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I well, I do appreciate it, and, uh, you know, let's all be in touch off the air, and, uh, you know, if we can't get together this time uh, this time around. I know, Tim, you and I are hoping to put something together for uh, Labor Day and exploring the Bridgewater Triangle with my buddy coming in from out of town, but uh, we'll we'll all uh, hopefully cross paths, again, cross paths again in the future. Right. I'll try to bring along the Codfather, too, for you. Oh, God, yeah. Please, <laughs> please don't. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna want like a, a separate new Bedford tour just to see all the different, right. <laughs> all the different haunts. <laughs> oh my god! All right, well I'll let you guys get back to your respective lives. I really do. I really do appreciate you guys taking these timeouts, uh, this time out to do the show. Because like I said, uh, Chris is on vacation, folks, and Tim's at work. So, so we went back <laughs> to work to use the studio. So. Uh, you know, they really went above and beyond, and I, I really do appreciate it. So thank you, guys. Good night, and uh, let's all talk soon. All right, man. Have Thanks. a great night. All right, folks, there you go. That was Tim Weisberg and Chris Balzano. Uh, we didn't even get into haunted objects. That's crazy. That's funny. We didn't even uh, talk about the realm of haunted objects, but, of course, they are the authors of Haunted Objects. And they uh, they have a ton of stuff. Let me do the websites again. Chris Balzano is tripping on legends.wordpress.com, and Tim Weisberg is spookysouthcoast.com. And longtime friends, good guys, and like I said, I just loved how once we figured out how to get everybody on the show at the same time, we just proceeded to start smashing the fourth wall and uh, trying to get to the bottom of all this stuff in a different way. And that's what this program is all about. And on that note, next week on the show, I posted a, a little grumpy post about ufology and the state of uh, ufological writing online over the weekend. That, that even I later was like, ah, oh, geez, I'm an asshole. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have been so grumpy. But uh, a lot of it was sort of through conversations 
with my friend Jack Brewer on Twitter. Many people uh, are aware of Jack Brewer's work at the UFO Trail. He's also wrote a book, I believe, is called The Greys Were Framed, uh, which we'll be talking about on the show next week. Now, we'll just be talking about the shittiness of ufology and all the problems with ufology. And if you think I got to bitch a lot during the Trump episode a couple of weeks ago, well, strap yourself in, because I've got a lot of things to complain about (laughs) when it comes to ufology. And I realize we haven't done a UFO episode in a long time. And who the fuck wants to hear about Rendlesham for the 30th time? And who wants to revisit Roswell? And who wants to talk about disclosure? Nobody. I want to talk about, you know, how everybody just keeps falling over themselves to declare ufology dead. It's like enough's enough, man. We get the point. Ufology's dead. We're beating a dead horse that is ufology is dead. And there's a lot of issues surrounding that idea and the problems of ufology. We'll get into that. We're going to get into uh, a lot of the nefarious aspects of ufologists doing bad things. Um, Stan Romanek. uh, Who else? We'll get into Emma Woods, I'm sure. We'll talk about uh, paranormal podcasters spamming people with email, begging for money. We're going to get into that whole uh, brewing scandal. And we'll talk about a whole bunch of other stuff. So we'll talk about... You know, the problems of ufology and the real fucking problems of ufology uh, with Jack Brewer, who I consider one, alongside uh, the incomparable UFO watchdog, I consider Jack Brewer, if UFO watchdog didn't have the name, I would call Jack Brewer the UFO watchdog. That's, you know, how tenacious he is as far as rooting out the bullshit and the scam artists and the con artists. So we're going to deal with all that on the next edition of BOA Audio. And guess what? It's going to be next week, Tuesday, July 25th at 9 p.m. You can almost set your watch finally by this program. Tuesday, 9 p.m. next week, Jack Brewer, the UFO Trail, and the Greys were framed. That's all but all of America. Tune in then, my friends. And on that note, I believe we are done for the evening. Thank you all for listening, my friends. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room. Until next time, this is Tim Badal. Thank you once again for listening and signing off.